I was going to say con- con- contextualize, but then I was going to use concrete. So I was going to say con- concretualize. Diz, stop trying to use fancy words. Diz Runs Radio, episode 843, starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well, 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 another month has come another month is about to go we are at the end of may 2020 still figuring out this uh, world of coronavirus covid19 and while that's got everything sideways and, and half things still upside down one thing that hasn't been impacted one of the few things that hasn't been impacted by covid19 is the end of the month tradition the end of the month regular occurrence where you ask, I answer. And today we've got a bunch of questions on hand. Uh, pretty good chance my voice is going to be shot by the time we get through all 20-something questions today. Who knows how long it's going to be, but uh, let's get to it. But before we do, for those that are new around these parts, welcome to the first, your, maybe your first or second Q&A episode. Uh, the, the, the format is really simple. You ask questions, I answer them. The best way to get your questions answered on the show is to come and join our, our little our little uh, piece of the internet over on Facebook, uh, the Facebook tribe, Dizruns uh, tribe. If you just go to disruns.com slash Facebook, it'll direct you right there. You click to, you, you, you request to join. We let you in. Uh, and as long as, you know, you, you don't prove yourself to be a, a spammer. Hey, we let, we let you hang out and uh, we encourage you to hang out, crack some jokes, do some posts, share some memes, have a good time. And then somewhere middle of the month, I put up a post that says, Hey, what are your questions for this month? You put your questions in the comments, Bada boom, bada bam. We have a Q&A episode, and we've got uh, a good one for you today. Lots of uh, serious questions, some fun questions, a little bit of stuff in between as well. So uh, without any further ado, let's uh, let's get to it, shall we? So the first question uh, comes from my man John, and he asks, How many of the tribe are GVRATing? A few, a few. So if you don't know what GVRAT means it stands for the great virtual race across Tennessee. And, uh, it's, you know, one of the, one of the virtual events that has popped up this summer due to all of the race cancellations and uh, social distancing and things of that nature, virtual races, in case you haven't noticed, and you've probably noticed they're going a bit crazy, but uh, this is one of the big ones. This is one of the big ones put on by Lazarus Lake himself, uh, the genius behind all the, the genius or the, the crazy guy, uh, you know, tomato, tomato, right? Uh, but he's the guy behind all the Barkley marathons, uh, some of the, the most crazy uh, races, the uh, the Vol State 500. He puts that one on. And uh, this year, because of the situation at hand, they decided, him and his team, you know, decided to roll the dice on this virtual race across Tennessee. It's a thousand kilometer race, quote unquote race. It's it's all on the honor system. Uh, it's pretty, pretty cool. I'm in, involved in it. And uh, John, to your question, I don't know how many there are. Uh, I know there's there's a, a, a decent chunk. I don't know, maybe a dozen, maybe twenty, something like that. I don't know. I mean, there's there's twelve hundred of us in the group. I mean, I feel like there's there's at least a few percent, probably, 
maybe. Um, I know of some. I'm sure that there's others I don't know about. Um, but there's a decent chunk of us. So uh, maybe maybe we can kind of combine forces, cheer each other on, whatever the case might be. Um, but yeah, there's there's a decent chunk, and as you know, we're getting through the first month. The the, the race lasts until the end of August. So uh, to those participating, be smart, keep getting your miles, but you know, don't uh, don't do anything too foolish. Um, take care of yourself, take care of your body, and, and happy uh, running across the great state of Tennessee. And good good luck to all participating. John, thank you for the question. Next one comes from Hildy. She asks, uh, with so many races being canceled and postponed, do you have a certain uh, running slash training plan that you follow, or do you just kind of wing things with your run? Interesting question, Hildy. Uh, and and um, it's kind of a, a combination of both, I guess, maybe. Um so, you know, obviously lots of, of races have been canceled and because of it, some people are really struggling with knowing what to do. Like you're not really training for something, but you don't want to not run and you don't want to lose all your fitness. So what do you do? Um, for me personally, I haven't been impacted that much as far as training goes in large part because I wasn't scheduled for any races. There were a couple of, of trail races that I was kind of thinking about doing, you know, at various points, one in April, um, one in May, um, Hadn't committed really, hadn't even really talked to Rebecca about it. I was just kind of thinking about it. Um, Local-ish, you know, um, nothing too crazy. I think one was a, like a 16-mile, one was like a 50K, so maybe crazy. I don't know, depending on what your what your definition is. But, uh, you know, I hadn't committed to them, is the moral of the story, before everything started getting canceled. So it didn't really impact me. And as far as my training goes, you know, my, my, my real big goal for the year is to uh, run the year you know, to, to get my 2020 miles in. And so that, you know, that hasn't changed. Um, and, and, you know, the training that I've been doing is loosely designed around making sure that I'm on pace to get those miles in. So, um, it really hasn't changed for me. So, so what am I doing? I mean, it's, it's kind of a blend. Like I have a loose idea that I need to get, you know, about five and a half miles in, every day on average. Uh, I still take my Sundays off. You know, Sundays are still a rest day. Um, so, you know, I'm trying to make sure I'm getting 35 to 40 miles per week, most weeks. Um, so I kind of have that loose plan, but I kind of wing it, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Um, I've gotten a little bit more structured lately and, and the, 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 uh, virtual race across Tennessee has helped, but that one, I mean, honestly, the math works out to be just about the same. I think it's like a hundredth of a mile difference between the two, as far as what you need to do, uh, average wise. So, you know, it hasn't, that hasn't changed much. Um, you know, I try to keep my long runs at about 15 ish miles, which usually ends up being like 12 or 13. So maybe not quite 15, but you know, in the ballpark, at least, um, you know, try to get five miles a day or five and a half miles. Most days I've been a little bit more aggressive lately of trying to get a couple of six or seven milers in during the week, in addition to a couple of five and a halfers and then my, you know, 15 ish on the weekend. So I'm getting between, you know, 42 and and 44 miles most weeks. Um, so I kind of have a loose plan, but on a day-to-day basis, like I'm not married to the plan. You know, if I'm, if I'm really struggling, really not feeling it, eh, you know, go for a couple miles and, and reassess, you know, in a long run, just get out and get going and, and see what happens. And usually, usually I settle in and, and end up getting pretty close to what I want to do. But, uh, you know, it's, it's very fluid, very fluid. And I think that for, for folks in general right now, um, it, you can go either way. You know, if, if you need to have a structured plan then put a structured plan in place and, and do your best to stick with it, if you can be fluid, but still do enough, uh, 
you know, get enough miles in to, to maintain your base, then that works too. I mean, ultimately right now with no races happening, I feel like the best thing that all of us can do is just kind of do what works best for us. And so, um, you know, kind of got to figure that out for yourself. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. And, and, uh, hopefully whatever, whatever it is that you're doing, Hildy is, is working for you uh, and everybody, you know, figuring out what's, what works best for you as far as having a, a set plan or kind of just maintaining. And there's nothing wrong with just maintaining right now. Uh, next question comes from Michaela. She asks, how excited are you for school to be over? Or is Addison going to have school all summer long? Whoa, no, 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 ma'am. There is no summer school at, uh, at, at, whatever, I don't even know what we're calling our school this year. Um, like the, the homeschool at, at, at the Diz homeschool, we do not do summer classes period. Um, yes, I'm, I am very excited to have school over with. Um, obviously, I mean, you know, anybody with kids for the most part had their kids home for the last several weeks, months, uh, dealing with, with, uh, distance learning. And, um, you know, I mean, it, it worked for us. It was it was not easy. It was not a challenge. If you read my emails, you know that I was counting down the days and and uh, excited to be to to hang up my teaching uh, credentials once again. Uh, third time I've tried to teach. Third time I've I've recognized early that teaching is not a job that I'm cut out for. At least teaching youth, certainly not teaching my own youth, not a good job for me. Um, so yeah, I'm excited for school to be over to kind of get back into a groove. Not least of which I'm excited for school to be over because it was tough for Rebecca as well. She is a, a middle school teacher and doing the distance learning thing was not easy for her. Um, so I'm excited for her to be able to relax a bit. Hopefully help bring the stress level of the house down a little bit um, and and just have more fun family time instead of more uh, handing off teaching duties from one to the other so I can try to get some work done while, while she's sort of teaching Addison, but also dealing with some of her class stuff. Obviously I was teaching school as well while she was teaching her class. Like it was just for, for everybody, you know, I'm not, I'm not, this isn't a a woe is me. I had it so much harder than everybody else. Everybody struggled. At least everybody I know pretty much struggled to adjust to, to distance learning. Uh, some of you are still dealing with distance learning. Uh, thankfully we are, um, a full week deep in school being out. School got out here on the 22nd of May was the last day of school here. Um, and I, I am very happy, very relieved for school to be over so I can get back to my normal routine or at least as normal of a routine as I can have while at summer vacation. You know, it's funny how, um, in January, in February, I was thinking like, all right, I got it. I got to get the most you know, work done. I possibly can in the next couple, three months, because once, so, once school gets out for the summer, it's going to be a hot mess around here and it's going to be a struggle to stay on task. And I'm going to have all these distractions of people being at home. And now after having people be at home for two months, uh, due to, to distance learning, I'm like, Oh, thank God it's summer. And I can just get back to sort of having a normal work, uh, situation. But I guess, I guess now the next thing to look forward to is school going back in the fall, fingers crossed. And I can really get back to having days, uh, during the week with nobody home but the dog, she's, she's a pretty good office mate and, uh, I can get, uh, seriously back into my work routine, but, but, uh, thank you for, for asking Michaela, no summer school. Oh goodness gracious. No. Um, and yeah, we're the whole family, the whole, every the whole Diz clan is excited for school to be over. Uh, next question comes from Liz. She says, uh, she asks, should you change up a strength routine? I strength train two to three times per week with the same moves. Do they lose efficiency over time? 
do they lose efficiency over time? It's a, it's a interesting way to phrase your question, Liz. Um, because yes and no. Uh, riding, riding the fence a lot so far in these first handful of questions. Um, should you change up your strength routine over time? I, th- I, I would encourage it. Uh, simply for me, it's, uh, you know, the reason I like to change it up is I just get bored. I get bored of doing the same routine over and over and over again. Um, you know, so I like to kind of mix through, mix and match and change things up and hit my body from different ways. Um, you know, if you're doing strength training two to three times per week, that's awesome. That's well ahead of most of us, perhaps myself as well. Um, so that's fantastic. And, you know, if you're doing the same moves, nothing wrong with that. If you're using the same, you know, if it's just body weight or the, you're using the same, you know, the same dumbbells or the same resistance bands or the same, whatever type of resistance for the same exercises. Um, it's not so much that they lose, you know, effect over time that they become less effective. Um, but what happens is your body gets stronger, right? Your body adapts to the demands that you're placing upon it. So it gets stronger, uh, maybe grows a little bit of muscle or recruits more, more muscle fibers to do the same work so that you're, you're able to lift the weights or do the squats without being tired or whatever the case might be. And once your body reaches to the point where it's no longer really challenged by the exercises anymore, you, you don't really get much stronger. So on one hand, you could say that, they, that they're losing their efficacy. They're, they're no longer as effective because you're not getting stronger. On the other hand, those exercises are still beneficial. They're still helping you to maintain the strength that you've gotten, that you've, that you've built, to, to keep those muscle fibers engaged and, and ready to fire for when you're running or just, you know, when you're lifting up a bag of groceries or when you're doing whatever yard work around the house, like, like there's still benefit to it. So it kind of depends on the goal of the strength training. If you're looking to get a little bit stronger, maybe improve, uh, some of your power that you can create, then maybe it would be worth doing something to change it up, change the routine, increase the resistance, something like that. If you're just looking to maintain the strength you have, kind of keep working on, on counterbalancing, you know, some of the muscles that we use more for running and, and building some strength in, in other areas, uh, to, to just maintain good, healthy balance in your, in your body composition and in the, the strength of, of your entire body. I wouldn't say that they, that they become less effective at that. You're just not building anymore. You're more, more maintaining. So it kind of depends on what your goals are. Um, you know, and, and, and how you want to proceed. But it, you know, if you keep doing the strength training work, that's, that's, I mean, if I could get everybody that's listening right now to do strength training two to three times a week, I'd be a happy, happy camper. If I could get the guy that's talking into the microphone right now to do a good strength training routine two to three times a week, I'd be kind of a happy camper with that too. So, you know, on that front side of things, you're doing great. Do they lose efficiency? Effect, effectiveness? Meh. Depends on what you're going for. As runners, I mean, we're not trying to build a bunch of mass, right? So that's no worries about that. You know, kind of proceed as as you wish. Recognizing, do you want to stay the same? Do you want to maybe shift things up again, mix things up again, challenge your body in a different way? Nothing wrong with that, but you don't have to. You don't have to. So how's that for not answering your question, Liz? You're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. But a really good question and something that's that's, there's some nuance to it. There's definitely nuance to it and how you choose to proceed kind of depends on where you fit on that continuum.
So I hope all that makes sense. But thank you for the question. Next one from Jill says, uh, can you replace a long run with more miles per run in a week if you're not training for anything specific? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's put some numbers to this to, to hopefully maybe make it make a little bit more sense for, for everybody listening. So, um, and, and maybe even to make, help it maybe, con- uh, I was going to say con- con- contextualize, but then I was going to use concrete. So I was going to say con- concretualize. Did stop trying to use fancy words. Um, can, can you replace a long run with more miles? So, so let's say that when you were training for a race, let's call it a half marathon. You're training for a half marathon and due to your schedule, you've got, you know, three days during the week that you're running and you've got your, your long run for, uh, you know, on the week, on the weekend. So let's say total in your, in your training block, you were, you were averaging 25 miles per week. And so you, the race is over and you're looking to maintain some fitness, but not be at that peak level, just a good solid 18 to 20 miles. And you're still doing, you know, three, three runs per week. We'll try to keep it as e- easy as possible. And so you're doing, um, say three miles, three miles and three miles or not. Let's, let's say four miles, four miles and four miles. So that's 12. And then your long run is something between six and eight miles. Does that work? Sure. If that works for you. All right. If you would rather do, let's say, make it, make the numbers real easy Four runs at five miles a piece to still get your 20 miles. Does that work? Sure. Okay. Now, now when it comes to, you know, the long runs, there's certainly benefits of running longer, but when it comes to kind of maintaining fitness, maintaining a good base, you've got a lot of wiggle room. You know, you, you can, you can not really have a, a, an exceptionally longer run and just kind of have all of your runs be about the same, or you could have, you know, you could, you could, you could have it to be where you had, you know, a couple of runs that were shorter, one kind of medium, one, a little bit long. Like you've got the moral of the story here, Jill, to answer your question is you've got flexibility. You know, if you can, if you can hit that 18 to 20 miles most weeks or whatever, whatever the numbers would work out for your specific situation, I'm, I'm making these numbers up just so everybody knows. Um, but if you can hit that kind of, that's the ideal threshold to be at, you can hit it just about any way you want to. Okay. Now, if you know, you're going to be running a race somewhere in the future, my advice, my, not my advice, my recommendation, which I guess is the same thing as advice would be to maybe at least once a month ish to have a more distinct long run. So back to our example, if you're going to, you know, get your 20 miles in per week by going five, 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 that's cool. But maybe just maybe once a month, once every six weeks, something like that, still get your 20 miles in, but have that longest run, maybe be in eight, nine, 10 miler stretch it out a little bit. Maybe if you're going five is your long run, maybe 10 would be too much, but you could get to eight, right? Especially if your other runs that week were all quote unquote, just four miles. You'd still get to 20, but you'd have that one run every four, five, six weeks, something like that. Just a loose guideline. You don't have to be meticulous, but somewhere in that, that range where you stretch it out just a little bit. The reason why is that when you start to train for your next race, especially if it's going to be another half marathon, you can be a lot more aggressive. Maybe isn't quite the right word, but instead of kind of like this slow, gradual build, you're already way in front of the curve, right? If you can, if you can handle an eight miler four months out from your half marathon, let's think about the possibilities of what you can do to train. You could, you could run 
a lot of 10, 11 milers. You could even build up to getting a 14 or 15 or 16 miler in, which would, which would ultimately mean you'd probably get a 14 miler or a couple of 14 milers, a 15 miler, and then also maybe a 16 miler in, in at some point, which then when it comes down time for race day, you have no problem hammering a 13.1, right? Um, so all that to say, the farther ahead you are when you start training for a specific race, the more options you have in your training. And the way to get ahead is to maintain a pretty good base of fitness. So you've got flexibility to change up the miles and not really have a, a, a specific, you know, uh, serious long run with a couple of, of shorter runs in the week. You can still do that, of course, but you can make them all three kind of moderate distance or all four are all kind of moderate distance. But every so often, stretching it out, not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. You don't have to commit to it every weekend, but once in a while, you know, when the weather looks good, when you get that random cool front that's coming, comes in, or, um, you know, when the schedule lines up so you can get out for an early start, or you can start later in the, in the late afternoon, early evening and, and run as it gets cooler into the evening, something like that. If that works for your schedule, it would be recommended, not required, but that would be, I think probably the, maybe the best of both worlds, if that makes sense. But thank you for the question, Jill. Very good one. Uh, next one from Julia. What is the bare minimum time I should be spending on strength training each week? Any suggestions for easy slash fast routines that won't let a beginner end up so sore they can't run? Uh, great, great question, Julia. And um, although it's a loaded question, and I'm going to be, I'm going to be slippery AF with answering this question because if I try to say what is the minimum time, oh, that's that's ripe for second guessing. That's ripe for. Um, nitpicking and, and like, ah, oh, this is just the most minimum amount I'm going to get. Uh, and I'm also going to read into your question a little bit. So maybe I'm missing the mark. I don't think so, but maybe when I read your questions, Julia, what I, what I hear you say, or what, what I'm, what I'm thinking that you're saying is Diz, I am busy. I'm busy with, with work, with life, with whatever. I'm busy with all the things. And I, I want to run. So I'm running as well. And I know that I should be strength training. But damn, I just don't have... It's hard for me to make the time. It's hard for me to set aside big chunks of time in my already busy life to do the strength training that I know I should do. But it's just hard to find the time. Hard to make the time. I get it. I agree. I agree. And so, so what I hear you asking then is what is the least amount I can do to get what I need to be done? And I want to flip the script on that question, assuming that that's ultimately the root of your question. And, and if it is, please don't, don't feel bad, Julia, because I guarantee you that there's dozens, probably hundreds of people listening right now that have a very similar situation. Okay. That really know that they either should be doing some strength training, should be doing more strength training that, that, uh, are kind of like me when I was at answering Liz's, Liz's question and going, yeah, I'm not doing the, the, the three times of really great strength training per week. Certainly not me. Um, so there's a lot of us that could benefit from a little bit more strength training, which is why I don't want to just say a minimum, but what I would encourage you to do, Julia and the rest of us who are struggling with, with making the time, prioritizing the time for our strength training is to figure out ways to mix in some little exercises here and there throughout the day. And I read an article recently, and I'll have this linked in the show notes. If you want to check it out, Julie, I would encourage you to do so. Anybody else as well, disruns.com slash 843. Um, 
I read an article from Maffetone. Y'all know I'm a big Maffetone guy when it comes to heart rate training. Big fan. But I read an article that he wrote about strength training. He, he titled it, or something, basically, I don't remember the title. The, the idea was slow strength. And I was reading it thinking it was like, you know, the really slow repetitions where it's, you know, lower for a count of four and raise for a count of th- whatever, something like that. That's not what it was. It was about the idea of kind of making your strength training workouts, like be an all day thing instead of cramming in as much as I can in 20 or 30 minutes. And the reason I think that this is, that this might work for you, Julia, and for, I've been trying to make it work for me and maybe for anybody else is that the idea is that you do on exercise, a handful of reps, four or five reps, something like that, six reps of different exercises multiple times throughout the day, but never really like back to back to back to back to back. So it might be that while I'm recording this, and and I should have like actually done this, right? Before I started recording this, maybe I do, you know, 10 pushups or five pushups or a few squats, whatever the case might be. Then I start recording the episode and, you know, however long this is going to be today, an hour, hour and a half, something like that. um, I finish up recording and I go and do another set. And then I get the, the post ready to, to be uploaded and, and, and distributed out to all your podcast players and the website and all that good stuff. And that takes another hour and a half or whatever, however long it takes. And then I do, then I do a set of, of lunges. And a set of lunges, like four on each side. Or maybe I do a couple of pull-ups or a, a quick plank. Then I go about doing the next thing, do the next item on my, my to-do list today. And then I do another little little something. Moral of the story, in case you haven't picked up on it yet, uh, is is the idea of slow strength is to mix in short, like 30 seconds, maybe a minute of different strength training exercises multiple times throughout the day. So, so you know, from the time, you, if, if you, if you, depending on the, the flexibility of your schedule, some more flexible than others, totally get it. But depending on the flexibility of your schedule, you could have a 12, 14 hour workout where you're really only working out maybe 10 minutes in those 12 or 14 hours. And the, one of the benefits of this to get back to your specific question, Julia, is that because you're not just hammering it for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, odds are you're not going to end up that sore. All right. If, if I were to tell you to do just to, uh, as an example, do, do three sets of 15 squats in the next five minutes, you could probably do it, but you might be pretty sore tomorrow. Now, if I said do 45 squats today, starting at seven o'clock in the morning, when you get up or whatever time you get up, do, do four or do five. Let's make, let's make the math easy here. We're doing 45. So do five of them. And then throughout the day, eight more times throughout the day, take whatever, however long it takes, 20 seconds, 30 seconds to do five squats. You know, you could, you could, you could tie it into different behaviors that you do throughout the day. Every time you, you go to the bathroom before you head back to, to, to the desk or to work or to, to whatever, to the couch, to watch TV, you go to the bathroom, you do five squats, you refill your water bottle, you do five squats. For most of us, between refilling the water bottle, going to the bathroom, maybe every time you check Facebook, whatever, you could create a, a certain list. You could just put a bloody uh, alarm on your phone, right? A reminder on your phone 
that goes off every hour and a half, every hour, starting from this time to, you know, starting from eight o'clock in the morning until eight o'clock at night goes off every hour, which that would be 12. So you'd be doing more than 45, but you know, you get what I'm saying here. You, you could set nine reminders throughout the day, do five squats, boom, boom, boom. You get your 45 in for the day. I bet you wouldn't be that sore tomorrow. You might, as a, as a true newbie, you might, you, you'll probably, you'll feel it tomorrow, but you're not going to be so sore. You can't run. You're not going to be so sore that it, it hurts to sit down to go to the bathroom, that it hurts to go up or down some steps. You'll feel it, but it'll be that good sore. Not that I did too much sore. So that might be my, my best suggestion. It's not a quick routine, but pick four exercises, five exercises, something like that. And twice a week, try to hit each of those episodes, each of those exercises twice for five or six reps over the course of a day. And then build on that. As you get, as you, as you notice that you're getting a little bit stronger as doing those exercises stops being, you know, stops leaving you as sore, gets pretty easy, build on it, add some more challenging exercises, add a little bit more weight. So maybe you're starting out with, with just, you know, just body weight only, or some, some light resistance bands. And then you graduate up to having a couple of dumbbells or a couple of milk jugs that have, you know, sand and water in them that you can kind of make your own dumbbells, whatever. Got options. Point is, as you get a little bit stronger, add a little bit of resistance and still keep doing the, the quote unquote slow strength. And I think that it won't be long. I mean, it's not going to be instantaneous, of course, just like anything it takes a little bit of time and consistency, but you'll find yourself getting stronger. You'll see the benefits in your running. You won't be investing huge chunks of time and you won't be that sore. Perhaps if I'm reading your question, if I'm reading between the lines of your question correctly, that might be the key. That might be the, the best thing right there for you. Some of us like doing the longer chunks of workouts. Some of us like to do the 20 or 30 minute strength training exercise. If you like that, great. If you're struggling to find time, slow strength might be your, might be your, uh, might be the thing might be, might be the, the key to unlock strength training for you. So I hope that helps Julia. Thank you for the question. Next one comes from Maya. Uh, and this was one of my, one of my fun ones. Hit me up with your favorite tequilas slash gins. I need new post long run cocktails. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You know how to speak to a boy's heart. Tequila and gin, definitely my, my tonics of choice. Um, and, and while I wish I could come out with some like real fancy, you know, what are my favorites? Like I'm a simple, I'm a simple man. I don't, I don't need a lot to be happy. I'm also, I mean, you know, and this isn't, you know, like we're not poor, but we're not, we're not, you know, we're, we're doing fine financially, but we're not at a point where I feel comfortable spending 50, $60 on a bottle of, of gin or a bottle of tequila. So I, I drink pretty simple stuff. Okay. It's not, not the fancy stuff when it comes to tequila, the, the two that I tend to, to go after, which everyone happens to be on sale that week, um, or whatever, not that I get a new bottle every week. Let's not, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But when I'm in the market for another bottle of tequila, whichever one's on sale is usually the one I, I choose between, um, Jose Cuervo, not like the fancy Jose Cuervo, just the regular Jose Cuervo and the, uh, El Himidor is El Himidor is probably my, my preferred over the two. Um, but they're both about the same price point. I like them both. They're both good enough. Um, you know, and, and, you know, just as far as cocktail recipes, I got nothing for you there because I am, I am strictly two fingers in an ice cube. 
or maybe two ice cubes. Um, but I, I, I don't, I, I don't feel like I want to waste my alcohol by adding some kind of mixer BS to it. Like I want to just enjoy my drink. So, uh, Cuervo, Himidor, those are good enough for me on the tequila front. The gins, the gin side of things. If I had to pick one or the other, gin would be my gin, gin. Mm, yes, I enjoy, I enjoy some gin. Um, Tanqueray will always hold a place in my heart. Um, if you if you if you know me very well, you know that I used to have a dog named Tank, and we definitely spelled it T A N Q after that beautiful green bottle with the little red circle. But that's kind of out of my price range now. Back when I was, I, I would say back when I was young and single, but I don't think my palate was well developed enough when I was single. We got married young. So, you know, uh, but, but in our early days, before we had kids, before we had a mortgage, uh, before we had adult response, I say kids, there's, there, there's no announcement there, y'all. We have one kid and that's all we are going to have. Um, <laughs> but uh, before we had a child, before we had a house, before we had a mortgage, before we you know, were getting serious about saving for retirement and yada, yada, yada. Um, the alcohol budget was maybe a little higher than it was. And I used to spring for, for, for Tanqueray most of the time these days. Well, that's still a special treat. The the standard go-to is new Amsterdam gin. It's pretty cheap and it's really not bad. I mean, it's, it's really not bad at all. Um, again, same as with the tequila, couple of fingers, ice cube or two good stuff. Um, every once in a while, and I can't get it down here, but you might be able to get it my in Ohio. I don't know for sure, but there's a, a distillery near my my hometown. So my mom hooks me up when we go up there to visit up to northern Michigan, or when we come when when she comes south, she usually brings a bottle of Ironfish Gin. Ironfish Distillery is is and they make uh, gin, vodka, a couple of different whiskeys, you know, varieties of whiskeys, bourbons and and rye and things like that. Um, but that gin's pretty good. It's it's maybe a touch more pricey than the new Amsterdam and it's got way more flavor. It's got definitely more of like a, an, a, an evergreen, uh, you know, kind of a piney, uh, type of, of flavor to it. It's, it's a bit like at first I was like, woo, cause the new Amsterdam is pretty mild flavor wise. I mean, not like mild as vodka, of course, like there's, it tastes like gin, but it doesn't taste like you're kind of licking a, a, a pine tree. The iron fish doesn't taste like you're tasting like you're licking a pine tree, but it, Kind of tastes like they garnished your your gin with a little bit of pine tree. So um, at first it was a little bit woo surprising, but then I was like, I've come to enjoy it. So I'm I'm actually kind of looking forward to kind of you know, hopefully things continue to progress in the right direction with the empire. Things continue to grow, and I can maybe uh, explore the different gins that are out there right now. Um, but for right now, my go tos. Cuervo or Himidor on the tequila front, New Amsterdam on the gin front, uh, Tanqueray if I'm feeling feeling like I'm rolling in the money, which I don't know that I ever feel like that anymore, uh, and a little bit of Ironfish once in a while, which like I said, you might be able to find it in Ohio. It's not, it hasn't made its way to Florida yet, but uh, who knows? So there we go. There's there's our our, our potent potables topic of the day. Uh, let me know what you settle on there, Maya. Or if you've got if you've got better options, which I'm sure you probably do, 
If you've got better options, let me know so I can understand where to uh, expand my palette a little bit. Uh, next question is a quick one. comes from Neil, uh, which was more of a timely question. He just asked, is your family safe with all the flooding in Michigan? Uh, you know, if you listen to this way in the future, you probably forgot. But there was there was some serious flooding in Michigan there for a minute. Thank you for the concern, Neil. My family is all good. Uh, I have no, no immediate family, no even really distant family in that area um, where the flooding happened. Um, and so everybody, everybody connected with me is, uh, made it, you know, just, just fine from, from the flooding, but thank you for, uh, for the concern and for, for the asking. Um, next question comes from Karen. Do you, uh, do you subscribe to any monthly fitness boxes or what are your feelings about them? So uh, I have one box, if you will, one monthly subscription, not sure it falls into the category of fitness boxes. though. I'm a, I'm a picky club, uh, OG I've been, I've been subscribed to the picky club, uh, box for, I don't know how long it's been now, uh, long enough that I get a discount because they don't offer, um, you know, the same, like their prices have gone up, but I, I keep my, my price that I got however many years ago. Uh, but th- those are picky, picky bars are, you know, kind of, uh, uh, dates and nuts and seeds and things like that. So kind of granola ish bars without all the granola, a little bit, you know, uh, gluten-free, that type of thing. Um, and that's the only monthly subscription I have when it comes to like more of the fitness boxy types of things. I used to have a little bit of a working relationship with the folks from, from run locker. Um, and it was, they were fine. Like, you know, I'd promote them a little bit. They'd send me a box, but my, my issue with them is that like, they just sent a bunch of stuff that I, I would never use. And, and in part because, you know, because I'm a little bit, particular, um, in part because, you know, with, with dietary stuff, if you've been following along enough, you know, I'm low carb. So they send a lot of, you know, goos and gels and, you know, carb heavy things. I'm just like, yeah, like I, I'm not, this doesn't, I don't use this stuff. Um, and then they'd send various other products that were, were quality. It was no, no, no negative about any of the quality of the items they sent. Just a bunch of stuff that I just don't like. I didn't need a wristband with a zipper pocket to like hold a key. Like I've got my, you know, I've got my, my pack that I'm wearing. I've got my, the pocket in my shorts. Like I didn't need that kind of stuff. They'd sent, and they, that was a lot of the stuff. Like they sent quality stuff. They sent, they, the one thing that they sent in the three or four boxes I got that we, that I actually like use um, we're like arm warmers. Like they sent like a full, full, you know, full on thing. Of arm. Like they're great. They're like bright neon orange. It's not really my color style, but they, you know, when you need a pair of arm warmers, who cares as much about the, the color, right? So like I got those, they sent like a really nice headband, uh, like for when it's cold that I think Rebecca uses, uh, because let's not kid ourselves. It's not that cold that I need a headband in Florida. Um, but other than that, I mean, there's just a bunch of, like, I still have a box of a bunch of stuff that they sent. That's like, again, it's good stuff. It's just not stuff I use. So I guess, I guess my personal feelings are, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm pretty meh about them, but if you're the type of person that really likes trying new things and getting different products and trying different, different energy sources and different, you know, kind of random doodads, they're not a bad option. Not a bad option. Uh, certainly, you know, and I don't really have any relationship with Runlocker anymore, but check them out. I had good experience with them. It just wasn't the best. It wasn't a product that I really appreciated, I guess, is, is maybe one way of saying it. So uh, check it out if you're interested. And there's obviously dozens of other ones around there. If it's stuff that you're going to use, I think that they can be great. If you end up just getting a bunch of stuff that just kind of sits in a box for four years before you throw it away or before you send it out to other people or whatever, give it to people at the running club, then eh, it's not really not really maybe worth it as much in that situation. But thank you for the question, Karen. Uh, next question comes from Liz. Can you overstretch? 
I do mobility work twice per day and sometimes feel like taking a day off can be beneficial. Look at you, Liz. Little, little Miss Overachiever Liz doing, doing two to three strength training workouts every week consistently. Uh, just never miss, never miss one. And you also do stretching and mobility work twice per day. Hi, Vey. Yeah, you're putting me to shame. You need to be hosting the podcast, Liz, telling people what to do without being such a hypocrite as I am when I'm telling people what to do and not following through nearly as much as I should. So all that to say, can you overstretch? It kind of depends on your definition of overstretch. So you can overstretch as in stretching a muscle too far. Absolutely, you can do that. That's that's where you get pulled muscles and injuries, things like that. When you're trying to like force a stretch, force yourself to reach too far, having somebody maybe pushing, you know, really forcibly stretching you past that point where it's it's a you're feeling it, but it's not painful to where you get like that. Yes, you can overstretch. Can you do too much stretching, too much mobility work? I mean, not really. That said, taking a day off here and there, it doesn't cause any problems, and so I can I can see why you would say that it would feel beneficial. Um, what what can happen, maybe it depends a bit more, or, or maybe a reason that you feel like it's, it's beneficial to take a day off is that when you're stretching a lot, you know, the, the muscles uh, obviously are lengthening, right? Um, and, and after a stretch period, especially if you're really stretching well, um, after that, that time frame, there, there's a little bit less, like there's like a little bit of a lag almost. It's not quite technically the right way of saying it. So all you PTs and exercise physiologist people out there, don't, don't save your emails. There, there'll be, I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll say something that's worth emailing me about to complain. This isn't it. I'm just trying to make a point um, where it kind of slows down the connection, slows down the firing of the muscles shortly after you stretch. So if you're doing a lot of stretching before you go run, that could have an impact as far as why you would feel better on it if you didn't stretch it might feel beneficial. You might feel like you got a little more pep in your giddy up, a little more, a little more oomph on your run. That's why we've, we've been saying for a while, and I don't know if this is the case, but just in case anybody's wondering, that's why I've, I've said for a while and we'll continue to repeat every so often. Don't do static stretching before a run, right? Don't, don't, don't be that guy. Don't be that gal. That's, at the start line of a race and like stretching down, holding, holding towards, towards your toes or pulling that foot back and, and pulling the heel towards your, your, your rear end to stretch your quad. Like don't do that stuff. Not that it's bad for you, but it's, it, it inhibits your performance. It slows down the amount of power your muscles can produce. It slows down the rate of firing, which makes you slower during your run. Save the static stretching for after your run, after your race. The warm-up beforehand, make it more dynamic, whether it's lunges, leg swings, jumping jacks, running for a, a little bit, doing some other type of calisthenics, whatever. Do those types of things. Which I know isn't your question, but just that's I I'm wondering if that's where maybe you kind of feel like it might be overstretching. It's just that you're stretching before you run. Um But in terms of doing mobility work, in terms of doing some stretching, I mean, twice a day is fantastic. Oh my gosh. If I could do, get myself to do it once a day, I would be ecstatic. So twice a day, bada boom, bada bam. You're you're in you're in rarefied air as far as people. I'm I'm painting with a broad brush here. Of the people listening to the show, you're in the top one or two percent. If you're doing stretching and mobility work twice a day, you might be in the top half of a percent, Liz, of the amount of stretching and mobility work that people listening to this right now are doing. So kudos to you for being that consistent. It's it works. It's beneficial. It's a good thing to do. Um, 
And if you miss a day here or there, eh, whatever. If you, if you only, if you only quote unquote, do it once for a few days, eh, you're fine. You're fine. But as long as you're not stretching um, any individual muscle or muscle group beyond the point where it's, it's feeling like a good stretch and where it starts to get painful, that's where you're overstretching. If you're not doing that, I don't really see overstretching as an issue that, uh, that we really need to be too, too worried about. But thank you for the question, Liz, you, you little overachiever, you. <laughs> but uh, thank you. Uh, next question. Actually, next uh, set of questions comes from Mona. We got, uh, we got th- I think, th- a threefer here all in the same question block. So the first one, uh, tell me a pee story during your run. I get the urge at the worst location possible, and I often wonder if there's other runners that do, or if, other, if this happens to other runners as well. Do I pee behind the bushes, or you know, wh- what am I supposed to do? Um, so I don't, I, you know, Mona, I, I apologize that I don't really have like an interesting, funny pee story for myself. Like, like it, admittedly, logistically, like, let's not kid ourselves for a guy who has to go. It's a lot easier, you know, like, especially if, if you're out on a, on a trail, goodness, just, you know, three feet off the trail, get behind a tree. You have a little bit of modesty, but you're good to go. Right. Um, and even, even on some road races, like, you know, if it's, if it's like not in a neighborhood, like I'm not. I'm not afraid. Like, not that I'm looking to do that, of course, you know, but like if, if, if I got to go, like, you know, and there's, there's some trees and there's not like a, I'm not in somebody's yard. Like, eh, that's, that works. Pull off to the side, do what you got to do back, back at it. Ladies, eh, clearly a little bit more to, uh, to, to concern yourself with there, a little bit less, uh, a little bit more logistical things to figure out. Right. Um, so, so what do you do? I mean, you know, and this kind of just comes down to, Again, I mean, this is just some tie over here. Where are you? What's what's the location? How discreet can you be? How comfortable are you with the the possibility of 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 going? You know, in 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 pseudo public. Um, you know, I mean, I, I I can think of times going. You know, where where I've I've been at races. Disney stands out. Uh, certainly, Marine Corps as well. Um, maybe Marine Corps stands out just about as much, even more so than than Disney. I don't know. But where where there's races where there's a decent walk from where kind of you, you gather at the beginning to the start of the, the actual race. Um, and there's porta potties and there's lines for the porta potties. And there's plenty of people that are just peeing in the woods, right? Men and women. All right. So, you know, if, if you're comfortable with that, Hey, you know, you're during a race. Can you step especially again, if it's a trail race, I think it's, it's in a trail race. It's, 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 it happens, you know, not, not uncommon at all to see a guy or, or a gal hop off the trail, get behind a tree, get behind a book, try to have a little bit of discretion, um, but going and, and, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, like nobody's looking right. Like nobody's checking out. Like everybody knows what's happening. Everybody knows the score. Everybody's been there before. Um, so, you know, if, if, if that's something that, that you, that you struggle with, like I get it, but you know, don't, don't feel like you can't just do that. Now, again, you're running through town, running in neighborhoods. Like that's even as a dude, I don't think that that's really acceptable. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you just kind of got to do what you got to do. There's been a, a few times where, uh, I mean, not that this is a funny story, but it's just like, you know, I really have to go, but it's in neighborhoods. Can't really just stop. And it's like, I'll just keep going until I find a porta potty that's unoccupied, you know, unless it gets too bad. But there, there was a race where I was running. It was like a half marathon doing pretty well, really had to pee and, run up and there's like, you know, it's a smaller race of so like each block where there were porta potties. There's only like one or two porta potties. You get to the one, they're both occupied. I ain't waiting. Move on. Next, next one, you know, is a, is a mile later. Um, both occupied, move on. Clearly I didn't have to go that bad. Right. But I, I had to go. I finally get to the third one. 
porta potties open. I can run right in, go back out on the road. So, you know, you kind of got to do what you got to do, depending on how bad you, you have to go, depending on the location. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't really have a great, a great piece. Sto- uh, hopefully none of us really have a great piece. Like what, what is a great piece story anyway? Like really? But anyway, I uh, thank you for that question, Moni. Your next, your next question, um, is running in a straight line, a straight rope line with one foot in front of the other better than running with your, uh, keeping your legs underneath your hips, almost like in a, a train track type of, of situation. Um, this is a question that, uh, that, that I would have never thought of. But it's a, it's a, it's a good question. It's a good question. Um, and definitely the answer is to keep your, your feet kind of in parallel tracks. Okay. Um, when you, if, if your feet are crossing over to the midline or even beyond that, um, you're, you're making, making more work for yourself than what is required. You're, you're definitely going to create some, some stability issues in your hips. You're going to have your IT bands firing, uh, extra because you're, you're, you're crossing your leg in front of you and crossing the midline or at least getting close to the midline. Um, so you, more core stability required. It's less efficient, like the efficient efficiency is to move forward. Right. Um, so anytime that your, your foot is not moving straight forward, anytime your arms aren't moving straight forward, that's wasted movement, wasted energy. So, you know, running and kind of crossing your foot to the midline and then crossing your foot to the midline and that kind of, you know, tight rope type of situation. Um, that's, that's not as efficient, more likely to, to lead to some irritation, some overuse types of things, some IT band issues. Um, so definitely just kind of keep your feet. Now they don't have to be like completely hip width. Like you might be shading a little bit inside, just kind of wherever's natural. Okay. But don't, don't try to be running one foot on top of the other. Well, not, not literally, but you know what I mean? Like don't try to get yourself in that straight rope, uh, tight rope type of situation. Keep them on their own tracks and just, and just do kind of what feels, what feels natural on that front as far as, you know, how far apart they are, but they should definitely be, um, on their own track for sure. Uh, and then the last question, can one never get faster if they don't do short runs or tempo runs at all? I've been doing the same distance on my runs a mile here and there for about six months now. Uh, it's, um, so, okay. So you've been doing basically the same thing for six months. So kind of going back to Liz's question earlier about strength training and how, you know, our bodies adapt to the demands that we place upon them. Right. And it's the same thing, you know, same thing with strength training. It's the same thing with building your endurance, building your, your running efficiency. If you're not stressing your body a little bit, it stops, it stops improving. Now you're going to maintain just like with the strength training, you're going to maintain your fitness by doing the same thing. But if you're not pushing yourself a little bit, your, your gains are definitely going to diminish. And so that doesn't necessarily mean you have to do speed work. doesn't mean you have to do hard, short repeats or tempo runs. That's one way of, of stressing the system. You could also increase your volume, maybe go, and I don't know exactly what you're doing, but say, you, say you're running three days per week, maybe you could add a fourth day and that would help improve your fitness because now you're doing more volume. You could just keep running three days, but instead of running and again, making up numbers, but instead of running three days per week, or I'm sorry, three miles per, per run, you do four miles per run. So you get more miles in on each run. That's going to work your system differently. That's going to challenge you in a different way. So there's different ways to, to do it. Um, I mean, you, 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 if you've been listening long enough, you know that I'm not going to be the one telling you you have to, to hammer out repeats all the time in order to get faster. No, 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 no. Build your endurance. That's that's the secret to getting faster in these these distance events. And again, remember, distance is anything like 800 meters and beyond. You know, like that's a distance event. 
Uh, so anything that, that most of us are running any, you know, miles, five Ks, 10 Ks, those are all distance events. And that's all comes down to having endurance, uh, you know, efficiency, um, working on your running economy. And that's from, from running, running easy and just logging miles. So you can still keep getting faster. You can still keep, uh, improving, but at some point, yeah, you, you may flatline a little bit. As far as progress goes, you may plateau. And that's when you need to, to mix up the challenge a little bit. Could be strength training. You know, it doesn't have to be just running. Could be adding strength training. Could be adding some cross training. Could be some speed work. Could be some more more miles or an extra day of running per week or, 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 or. So uh, hopefully that, that makes sense, Mona. But, it, you know, doing a little bit. One thing before I get off this question, one thing that I, I hope never gets confused, even though I think sometimes it does, is just because I'm not pro do speed work all the time doesn't mean I'm anti doing speed work, period. There's a time and a place to get after it. There's a time and a place to push yourself, whether it's a, a proper quote unquote proper workout, whether it's mixing in some strides on a semi-consistent basis. All right. There, there are benefits to going hard, even for a Maffetone guy, even Maffetone himself will say there's, there's a time and a place to go hard. Certainly on race day, but even outside of race day, the trick is not doing too much. So, you know, Mona, if you're trying to get faster, you're trying to improve, you're trying to, to take the next step. It might be time to mix in a, a little speed workout, right? You've been doing, um, you know, six months might be time, might be time. Um, but there, there are other options as well. So you've got, you've got flexibility, you've got things you can choose from. Um, it just kind of depends on what kind of feels right for you, what you want to do. Most importantly, you know, you want to have fun with these runs. If you want to go hard, go hard. If you want to just go a little bit longer, add an extra day. That works too. That works too. So thank you for the questions, ma'am. And, and yes, uh, you said at the end of your question, very, three very unique and interesting questions. Absolutely. Absolutely. But thank you for asking each of them. Uh, next question. Another one from Michaela. How do I quit signing up for races? It's becoming a small problem. I promised the husband that uh, I would not sign up for more than 12 races this year. Yeah, I'm already at 13 and that is a bad problem to have. So, um, and, and she did go ahead and to add that some of those are virtual races. Some of them are still races that are set to be run later this year. Fingers crossed. Um, but how do you stop signing up for races? I, I don't know. I mean, and, and I say that as the guy who like doesn't sign up for that many races, but like, um, for me, it's just not like, I like racing, but eh, like, I don't need to race. So I'm not that worried about it. And I'm also, you know, as mentioned when talking about the tequila and the gin, not that we're poor, but I'm money conscious. So like, I'm not going to wager, you know, we got to, we got to have plenty of money set aside before I'm like, yeah, let's, let's go find another race to run. All right. At least races that aren't local and you know, I mean, to each their own. Right. But, uh, but yeah, how do how do I quit sign up for, I don't know, like get rid of, you know, like cut up your credit card, <laughs> you know, uh, stay off the internet. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough one. Um, so if anybody has any, any suggestions for Michaela on that one, feel free to, uh, to hit her up and, and let her know how to quit signing up for races. Um, maybe, maybe have a, a, a deal with your husband where, you know, you get X number of races for free for free, meaning like, like I'm going to sign up for 12 races this year. And then, you know, after that, it's like, you know, for the 13th race, you got to cook him, you know, serve him breakfast in bed. And for the 14th race, um, you know, there's, there's something else that I'll, I'll mow the lawn for, for the, the month. So he doesn't have to, or, you know, some, some type of, of uh, deterrent to kind of keep you from, from doing that. And may, and maybe, you know, if, if your husband's game for it, then maybe there's, there's a, a, a reverse. So you get 12 is the cutoff. If you only sign up for 10, then he's making, you know, then, then at, at 10 races, 
then he's doing something for you. He's he's making breakfast in bed. He's doing the the foot massage. He's doing uh you know the the laundry or you know and here I go gender stereotyping household chores, right? But you, you get what I'm saying. So maybe maybe you gamify it that way. Maybe that would be a way to to help limit the race signups. Uh you know carrot and stick variety. So I don't know. I mean you get get creative, right? Have a little fun with it. Um you know and and uh, good luck not signing up for too many more races in the rest of 2020. Uh, next quick, next question comes from Brazil. Uh, Leticia asks any tips to improve technique for downhill running, uh, not on trails, but on roads. I mean, specifically for those quote unquote prone to trip and fall athletes. So, um, you know, Lee, when it, when it comes to downhill running, you know, I, I think that, that the best thing you can do is, is run downhill. You know, this, this is one of those where it's, it's like, don't overthink it. You want to get better at running downhill, run downhill and, and kind of figure it out. You know, it's that said though, it's not quite that simple. So, uh, some suggestions to, to get into it because for me, I feel like when it comes to running downhill, you got to commit to it. Okay. If you're, if you're being ginger, trying to, to, to not run too fast, trying to, to fight gravity, that's when you're, you're pounding down the hill. That's when the Hills really beat you up. That's when, when it's tough. That's when you're probably more likely to trip and fall quite honestly. But when you're, when you're confident, when you're leaning forward, when you're trusting that your feet, like they're going to turn over, they're going to stay underneath you. You don't have to worry about trying to like you lean into the, you literally, you lean downhill, um, and let gravity do its job. I feel like that's like, once you are comfortable doing that, running downhill is cake, running downhill is cake. One tip that I heard somewhere along the line that I think is useful is that instead of like looking downhill, look straight out ahead. So you almost try to envision that you're running on a flat while you're running downhill and your feet just kind of take care of it themselves. Like they, they go where they're supposed to go. You keep going. You're fine. All right. Now, depending on the hill and the grade of the hill, that can be a scary thing. So practice on less steep hills. Okay. Until you feel comfortable on, you know, a, a shallow grade, don't just try to go bomb down the side of a mountain, right? Like start with a, with a gradual grade. If you can, the, the most gradual hill in your area, get comfortable running down that. You can almost even do downhill hill repeats, right? Like if you're wanting to get better at running downhill, not every time, not every run, not every week necessarily, but on a semi-regular basis, go out and work on running down a gradual incline, turn around, take your time walking back up or running very casually back up and then run fast on the downhill until that starts to feel pretty comfortable, pretty natural. Then graduate to a slightly steeper hill and a slightly steeper hill. And pretty soon you'll feel pretty comfortable bombing down. I mean, you know, not down like a cliff face, of course, but you'll, you'll feel pretty comfortable bombing down most, most roads, certainly. Um, and it's, it's a great feeling to just be able to open it up and just go and not worry about tripping and falling, not worry about going ass over elbows, just go and your feet, they figure it out. They figure it out. It's a beautiful thing. says the guy who lives in central Florida, but I, I've, I have run some hillier races, no issues going downhill. Cause I'm just comfortable. I just trust and go and go. So hopefully that helps you. Hopefully it helps you stay upright. That's that right. There is the name of the game, right? Uh, next question comes from Nancy. Uh, she asks, how do you survive not racing for eight months to a year? Girl, this is, this is that time, right? We're, we're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. Like, like I said earlier, I mean, I'm not a big racer. I enjoy racing, but it's not, 
like something that I do on a super regular, like, like last year was a busy, was a busy race year for me. 2019, I ran official races two, four, ran like six or seven races. And that was like a busy year for me. Um, you know, the year prior to that, I think I ran like two or three, um, and not too long ago. I mean, I had a couple of years in a row where I didn't run a single race. So for me, surviving, not racing for eight months, whatever, like, let's just call it, call it, you know, I would say, let's just call it 2020, but that's the reason a lot of us aren't running races right now. Right. It's, it's 2020. Um, but it's not a big deal for me, for you. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's trying to figure it out. It's maybe jumping into some virtuals, which obviously is not the same. It, it doesn't have the same feel. It doesn't have the same excitement, but maybe it sort of helps to scratch the itch. You know, it, 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 it does a little bit for you. Um, but it's just, you know, it's just like everything else. Like how did, how did I survive teaching kindergarten again? Like one freaking day at a time, you know, some days were a little bit better than others. Some days weren't, uh, how do you get through eight months to a year until races are back on a regular situation again? One day at a time, one day at a time. And, and, you know, try to, try to recognize that this is a hope, hopefully, Nobody knows, but let's, let's, let's play the odds. This whole COVID-19 situation is temporary, temporary, maybe a long temporary, but still temporary, hopefully. And we will be having races again. And you'll have the opportunity to get those, you know, get those endorphins going, get after it, scratch that competitive itch. Um, it just, it just probably won't happen as as soon as you would like it to. And until then, you just kind of got to take it day by day and do the best you can. And and sorry, I don't have a better answer for you, Nancy. And and I know, even though I'm not really feeling it, I know a lot of people are feeling it that struggle with you and just kind of got to, got to hope for the best. Keep, keep training, maybe jump in a couple virtuals to scratch that itch as well. Uh, next question comes from Melody. She says, did you ever buy your, uh, scraping tools? Have you used them much? Do they work for you? So yeah, I did get some tools. Um, like in case you're not uh, familiar, I got a link in the show notes, disruns.com slash eight, four, three. Um, I've talked about it here and there, but they're, they're like metal shaped tools, um, stainless steel that you use. And you like put a little lotion on your, on your, on your leg or on whatever area. And they're myofascial release tools. So like massage tools, kind of like a foam roller on steroids. And so, uh, I, I have some, I don't use them probably as much as I should. Although what, what I tend to do is kind of the, uh, the binge and purge type of mentality where like I'll use them a bunch of times way too close together and it like beats me up. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, I probably shouldn't use my tools like three times in a week on the same body part. Let me, let me give my body a little bit of a break. And then it's like three months later. I'm like, Oh hell, like I probably should be using these things. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, but they work. I mean, they're great. They're fantastic. I do think, um, that I, but when I say I do think this is one of the things I can say, I know because of my past life as an athletic trainer and working with athletes and doing some of these types of, of techniques and, and, uh, you know, using some of these, these different tools, um, they work better when you're not doing them to yourself. Okay. So what I really probably need to do is train Rebecca on how to use them. And then, uh, you know, maybe have my, my bet with her, like, uh, like Michaela is going to have with her husband about, you know, if, if I do X, then you have to, to, you know, scrape my, my calf. And if, if not, then whatever, you know, have, have some type of, of deal with her to have her do them for me more often, because not that you're going to relax, but you're able to relax more when you're not the one applying the pressure, trying to try to breathe through it. Um, and also they work really well. If you can put yourself in a stretched position, they hurt a lot more, but they, they're more effective. You can put yourself in a slight stretch and then you use the, 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 uh, scraper. So like, you know, if you're doing your hamstring 
it's kind of hard to like stretch your, like really have a, a stretch while you're also kind of relaxing while you're also kind of scraping, right? Like it's just a hard situation to do. But if somebody's doing it for you, like they can be in front of you. You can put your foot up on their, their shoulder, their leg up on their shoulder. So you get a, it doesn't need to be a maximal stretch, but just a little tension on the, the hamstring muscle. And then you get the tool out and you start scraping along the hamstring and it hurts like crazy and it's effective. So, um, all that to say they work, they would work better if I would train my wife on how to use them. Um, she might get some sick pleasure out of doing it for me. So maybe, maybe there's, maybe there's, uh, 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 area for this to be a win-win situation. I just need to explore it more. Um, but they would work better for me if I used them more frequently, you know, just like my foam roller would work, would work better if I used it more often. Um, my yoga game would be improved if I did that more. Like, you know, I mean, it's just how it all, all boils down. Right. But, uh, but, but yeah, I like them. I'm a fan. Um, and I need to use them more often is, is the moral of the story, but thank you for the question, Melody. Uh, next question. Still can't see the end of the list yet, but we're getting close. I think we got about 10, 11 more to go. Something like that. Next question from Diana. She says, breaking in new shoes, myth, or is there truth to it? I remember back, uh, back in the day, running stores used to, used to say, take a week or so to break in new shoes, but I haven't been to a running store in a while. Thanks to, uh, being able to, um, you know, buy shoes on the internet. Right. Uh, but so is, is breaking in new shoes, something that I should do or not? Um, you know, Diana, it's, it's, uh, I, I do say that we kind of live in a world where you don't really need to, to break in shoes anymore, but there's a big asterisk that goes with that. So, um, a lot of times I, I think that, that it's a fairly, you can make a fairly general statement that running shoes are pretty much ready to go. All right. Um, but the reason for the break in process is less to let the shoes be ready and more for our bodies to readjust to new shoes or to adapt to new shoes, especially if it's like a new style, a new type of shoe, a new model, a new brand. Um, because it's something different, right? And if you go, you know, from, you know, shoe A to shoe B, and it's a, it's a very dramatically, drastically different shoe than anything you've ever run in before. And you just go out and hammer 20 miles in them. Like the shoes may not be the problem, but you might be hurting because your body's working in a different way with these shoes that they're not used to. It's not that the shoes aren't broken in. It's that you're not broken into the shoes, if that makes sense. So I think that that's, that that's where if you're going to break in a shoe, I think that the heavier the shoe is, so the more bulk, if you're, if you're wearing a fairly minimal type of shoe with not a lot of cushion, I mean, there's really not anything to break in, right? There's, there's like, like there's nothing there. So you're good to go. But if you've got a thicker shoe, if you like something that's got a little more support, a little more structure to it, then maybe there's a, 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 a reason to break in the shoe. But more than likely, those shoes that are more support, heavier shoes, your body's going to need a little bit of time to, to get used to those shoes. So that's where breaking in the shoes would come into play. The other time that I would say to quote unquote break in some shoes, where again, I really think you're more breaking in yourself than breaking in the shoes is if you're making a, a dramatic change. So maybe you've, you've been running in something with a heel drop and this is a, like, you're going to try some ultras or some zeros or some other type of zero drop shoe. So instead of just going from something that's got a six or eight millimeter drop to zero and just hitting it and going, you might want to ease into that a little bit. Let your body get used to that zero drop transition period. Again, it's not that you're breaking the shoe. It's that you're getting your body used to the new the new situation. Likewise, if maybe you're, you're getting a stability shoe for the first time, or you're going from a stability shoe to a more neutral non-stability shoe, 
you might need to break it in a little bit. Again, I say break it in. I think you know what I mean by this point. So that would be my advice. Like, I don't think you need to break it. I haven't broken his shoes in a while. Okay. Like I almost have a game that I play when I get a new pair of shoes, especially if it's a, it's a shoe that I'm reviewing. If I get, if I get a pair of shoes to review, which is where I get most of my shoes these days. Um, when I, when I get it, I like, I'll put the shoe on once just in the house, just to make sure it fits right? Like make sure there's nothing crazy that feels uncomfortable with it. All right. The shoe feels good. Then I'll save it for my long run day. And my first run in it will be my long run. Figure if I'm reviewing a shoe, like let's, let's put it to the test right away. So, you know, the first run in it might be 12, 15, 18 miles. Let's see how it goes. Let's see what it does. But all my shoes that tend to be similar variety, right? Foot shaped, zero drop, very minimal cushion, uh, mostly all ultras. So like, like the, I'm not, I'm not, coloring from all kinds of different coloring books. Like it's all basically the same shoe, just different colors or different model numbers or whatever. So I feel like I can get away with it a little bit more in that situation. But if I was, if I was all of a sudden to review some, you know, clunky something or another that I'm not super comfortable with, I probably wouldn't do that. I probably wouldn't do that. I'd probably give myself a little bit more of a break in time, uh, before I, I really got after it. So that would be my advice when it comes to breaking in shoes. It depends on how different the shoe is to what you're used to wearing. Um, if it's pretty much the same thing, you probably don't really need any breaking period at all, but thanks for the question D. Uh, next question comes from Thessaly. Uh, we hear a lot of advice and suggestions and opinions about quote unquote injury prevention. Are injuries preventable? Are there any foolproof ways to actually never get injured besides from not tripping and not running, etc.? Uh, thank you. Still absolutely loving your, well, still absolutely loving the podcast. Well, Dustly, thank you for listening. I still absolutely love the fact that you're still listening to me. Um, hopefully that, that trend will continue for a while. And thank you for, for the question. So, you know, when it comes to injury prevention, I mean, yeah, there's like, you can't, like running is a contact sport. You know, it's, it's obviously it's not a contact sport like ice hockey, like lacrosse, like football, even like basketball, volley, like all of those are, are they're contact sports in a different way, right? But when we run, when you go out and run, you know, a marathon, like, you know, what, 40,000 steps, something like that. Like you're, you're pounding the ground, causing all kinds of, of impact forces, repetitive motion for somewhere between, you know, if you're one of the best in the world, two hours and five minutes, one of the best men, if you're one of the best women, two hours and 17, 18 minutes to four, five, six, seven hours. Right. And if you're running longer than that, it's even longer than that. That's a lot of contact. That's a lot of force. And no matter, you could do everything right and you can still get injured. Absolutely. So, you know, the, 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 and then, and then you've also got the fluky things. Like you kind of said, you know, a random trip and fall, random roll your ankle, stepping off a curb, um, you know, whatever diving out of the way. Cause some jerk off in the car isn't paying attention and you got to dive off the, the shoulder of the road to not get hit. You know, there's, there's all kinds of random things fluky things, you know, acute injuries where, where those, those things are never going to be preventable. Never can we eliminate those unless you're running in a, in a vacuum. And even then I don't know that you can completely eliminate those possibilities. Right. Um, even on the treadmill, like you could, you could trip and get spit off the back of the treadmill. That would be an injury. Right. So like, like there's nothing that we can do to ever completely minimize the risk of some type of sudden injury. Sorry. I wish we could, if I had a secret for it, I'd probably, I'd probably be able to afford tank array on a regular basis. If I could, if I could figure that out and how to sell it. Right. 
Um, and I could probably run more races every year too. I could probably do both things, which would be, whew, be, be a happy camper in that situation. But, um, you know, when it comes to the, the more quote unquote common running injuries, the, the overuse things, the plantar fasciitis, the, the shin splints, the IT bands, the tendon, the various tendonitis issues that we might get, um, some of those types of things, again, you can never say never. You can, you, uh, and you will never hear, you can go back through all 842 previous episodes of the show. And I, I can fairly confidently say that I've, I've either never said anything along the lines of, if you do X, you will never get this injury. Or I'll say, I would say that. And then I'd quickly correct myself and say, well, no, better not say that. If you do all the little things, if you do the right, you know, get enough sleep and take care of your body and listen to your body, yada, yada, yada. You can dramatically reduce the risk of any of those injuries, but they can still happen. The, the, key, the, key, the key is, and, and I think this is maybe where um, answering your question, but kind of, you know, leave it to me, getting off on a tangent, right? And, and turning uh, a quick answer into something that, that lasts for another four or five minutes. Here we go. Um, but, but the key is that when you're, when you're fine-tuned with your body, when, when you're paying attention to what's going on, what you're feeling, things like that, I think that what, what can happen is not so much that you're, you're preventing the possibility of injury, but you're able to figure out that something's not right before it becomes very serious. So what happens is, is, is you're doing the right thing. Hopefully, hopefully, Thessaly, you're doing the right things. You're taking care of your body. You're doing some, some yoga. You're doing some foam rolling, getting enough sleep, blah, 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 blah. All those things that definitely help to reduce your risk of injury. Okay. And then... Even though you're doing everything right, something happens. Something, and it may not even be something that you can actually like pinpoint, but there's some little something that happens in, in your universe that causes some plantar fasciitis to start to start to happen. Okay. But because you're tuned in, because you're already doing a lot of the little things, a lot of those, those preventative things. You recognize pretty quickly before it gets so bad that you can't run like, Hey, wait a second. I feel, I feel a little bit of tightness in the bottom of my foot in the morning. I'm going to pay a little bit more attention to doing some, some rolling on my foot to stretch in my calf, to doing some, some foot strengthening stuff to maybe walk around the house with a little bit of bare feet once in a while to help nip that problem in the bud. So you don't even ever have to take time off from running, right? Like it, it, it's, it's, you notice that there's a little something you're already doing a pretty good job of preventing it anyway. So there's not a lot of extra work you have to do. Maybe just a little bit of extra focus, a little bit of extra TLC. And in a few days without missing any runs or maybe missing one run, problem solved. You addressed it, taken care of onward and upward. And so, you know, it's not that it's, it's not that you're not that we're ever, anybody's ever going to get to a point where they can guarantee you that if you if you buy my program and do this thing, I promise you, you'll never be injured. Yeah. Run from that guy. Run from that gal. Whoever it is, they're full of it. They're full of their own it, if you know what I mean. Because um, that's just not... It's Running is a contact sport. And it's a repetitive use, repetitive motion contact sport, which is, gives another reason that, that things can happen. But if you can, if you can address them early, recognize that something's a little bit off, and get to working on it ASAP instead of just like, ah, you know, whatever, no big deal. It'll go away on its own. I mean, it might, but it might not. And it might get worse. And then 
then you become a statistic of, you know, one of the every, whatever it is, 60% of runners that are injured every year, you know? So hopefully something in that made sense. Like, no, there's no foolproof way to actually prevent injuries completely. But if you're doing the right things, your, your likelihood is going to be dramatically minimized. And then you'll also be able to resolve any little issues that crop up relatively quickly because you'll, you'll figure them out before they're, they're too bad and solve it. Problem solved. So hopefully all that made sense. Leslie. thank you for, uh, for the question and, uh, and, uh, appreciate you listening to the show. Really do. Thank you. Uh, next question comes from Jeff. Um, Jeff's question, looking for an educated guess regarding when overseas travel will be back to normal. I want to travel to the Comrades Marathon in June next year from Australia. If I had to do two weeks self-quarantine at each end, it would kill the trip. Jeff, I appreciate you asking a question. I really, really do. I cannot give any type of educated guess about when overseas travel is going to be back to normal in the U.S., let alone what the what what return to normal um, in Australia might look like. Now, if I if you know, gun to my head, if I had to wager a guess, I mean, I would I would hope, I would hope that if I'm reading your question right, June of next year, I mean June of 2021, right? I would hope that by June of 2021, we've got we've got this thing somehow figured out, and things are back. Because if we're still not able to travel. 13 months from now, whoo Lord, like, like I definitely won't be drinking any Tanqueray at that point, you know, like, like let's not kid ourselves. So I, I, this is, this is a guess. This isn't an educated guess. It's just a guess that the restrictions will probably be relaxed somewhat. I don't know how much, but somewhat by June of 2021. But that's that's as as much as I can as I can say. And even then, please don't buy your your plane tickets and register for the race because some schmuck from America that does a podcast said that he was he was pretty sure that by then things will be okay to go. Because <laughs> I don't know. And 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 again, I mean, you know, when it comes to this whole situation, even the experts don't really know. Like nobody knows how this is going to shake out over the next you know month, two, three, four months. 13 months down the road. I mean, p- please God, let things be back to fairly back to normal by then. But whew, I don't know, brother. I don't know, brother, but thank you for the question. And if you do end up running comrades, please let us know, let us know how that goes. Obviously the lead up love to, to hear more of how that process is going and, and uh, certainly would, would love to cheer you on. So uh, good luck with making that decision. I hope it, I hope it's something that's able to work out for you. Um, Cause that would be, that'd be an awesome, awesome experience. But yeah, two weeks of quarantine on each end would not like you can't, I mean, how can you do that trip? Right? Like that's, that, does, that doesn't work out, but thank you for the question, sir. Next three, I'll come from. No, uh, it says, uh, I've been, uh, sorry. I've been really trying to incorporate strength training into my weekly workouts, but I struggle feeling so sore the following days that I can barely run. I don't think I'm doing too much. They are at home workouts and 30 minutes each focusing on different parts of the body. What am I doing wrong? Or is it just part of the process? And eventually I won't be so sore anymore. So, uh, no, it's, it's, you're not doing anything wrong and kudos to you for incorporating strength training. That's, that's awesome. However, 
Not, not really, however. Point of order, point of clarification. If you're doing a strength training workout that leaves you so sore the next day that you can't run, then you're probably doing too much. And, and again, it, it doesn't, it's not so much about the duration. You know, it could be a 10 minute workout that leaves you so sore. You can't run the next day. Then that would be too much. Okay. Because all that soreness, all that, that, you know, discomfort that you feel after the fact is that's, that's part of the body's recovery process. What that means is that you pushed your body to a point where there was a lot of tissue damage, muscle tissue. Like that's, you know, that's, that's what strength training does. It, it tears our muscle tissue at you know, micro tears, microscopic tears. Um, but it tears the muscle tissue. And then as it heals, as your body repairs that damage, that's how you get stronger. Okay. So doing the tears, that's what we need. But if, if you're getting so many tears in all of your muscle tissue that you hurt too much to run the next day, to me, that says you're doing too much. So what, what options that I would suggest, um, I would suggest either cutting down on maybe the number. So like if you're, if you're doing the, the same workout and it's 30 minutes, but it's, you know, if they're, if they're doing, you know, one minute of, of squats, do 30 seconds of squats, or if they're doing 20 pushups, do eight or 10, whatever, whatever you can handle. That's not, you know, that's not pushing too far. You might have to experiment with the numbers a little bit. You might have to figure out like, all right, well, if I do, if I can do more squats, but less lunges or whatever, to the point where you're still feeling it a little bit, you're still a little bit sore, but not so sore that you can't run. Not so sore that you can't go up and down steps. That's, that's kind of where we want to be. Now we could, you could also go back to Julia's question and, and, you know, maybe mix in some slow strength training workouts so that instead of doing a 30 minute class, you're doing random sets throughout the day. But if you're enjoying the 30 minute classes, keep on keeping on, just make some adjustments. And maybe it means, you know, depending on, I don't know, obviously all the details I'm reading your question verbatim. So I don't know, you know, if it's a beach body class or if it's a Peloton class or whatever, but you know, if, if you're doing 30 minutes and you're so sore, maybe find a 10 minute class or a 15 minute class, 20 minute class, whatever you get, you get what I'm saying here, right? Do a, a shorter duration class, follow along. And, and again, you'll probably be sore the next day, but hopefully you won't be so sore. You can't run. You can't function. You can't live life normally without kind of hobbling around. And then once it gets to the point where you do your strength tra- training workout, that's the 10 minute and you're not sore at all. Now bump it up to 15, bump it up to 20. And slowly but surely work your way back up to where your 30 minutes, it, you know, 30 minute exercise uh, blocks. Love that you're doing full body. That's awesome. Keep, keep doing that. Don't just focus on one body part. Get the whole body going. Um, but some soreness is absolutely part of the process. But being so sore that you can't run, can't fully function the next day, that's a, that's a pretty, I don't want to say it's a super clear warning sign, but that's a pretty, a likely warning sign that you're, you're, biting off a little too much with those workouts. So maybe back off again, back off intensity, back off, you know, if you're using weights, maybe go body weight with a bit more and, and less, less uh, resistance. And that'll, that'll maybe help a bit play with some of those variables a bit until you're not so sore and then work back up. Hopefully that all makes sense. Uh, next question in the same vein as the last question, since I feel sore after strength workouts, where is, where in the week should I fit them? 
before a long run, after a long run, before a day when I'm doing speed workouts, I'm lost. So th- this is this is uh, something that I've talked about before. There's no right or wrong time, but it, but in the same vein of the last of the last question, you know, we don't want as as runners. I mean, strength training is important, right? I've said that countless times. I'll say it countless more. Doing strength training for us is important. It's beneficial. It helps us. But doing so much strength training that we can't run for a couple of days, eh, maybe not the best strategy, right? So when do you when do you schedule your workouts, your strength training workouts, so it has the least it has the most benefit with the least negative impact on your running? To me, there's a couple of options that make the most sense. Okay. Um, and, and obviously these have to fit in with your life. So there's, there's room to, to maneuver, but if, if you want me to say, these are my best recommendations, these are my best recommendations. Do your strength training either after a hard workout. So if you're, if you're running routine, your running schedule has some speed workouts mixed in some tempo workouts mixed in. Something that's higher intensity, don't strength train before those, but after those, get after it. Why? Well, some would argue, well, yeah, but then my, my legs are shot. I'm tired. I'm not going to be able to do as much in, in, the, in, the, in the weight room or much as much strength training at home, whatever the case might be. And yeah, that's true. But again, we're runners. Our goal is to be better runners, right? Our goal is not to be bodybuilders. So who cares if you can't do you know, three sets of 12, you got to do three sets of 10 instead or whatever the, the variation is. doesn't matter because what happens So you, you do your hard workout, right? Your legs are trashed. They're, tor- they're, they're, they're tired. They're sore. Well, guess what? That's kind of what we're going for when it comes to strength training, right? So then you, 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 you finish your strength training workout and either right afterwards or later that day, you know, you get to the gym, you fire up the, the Peloton app or the beach body app or whatever it is. And you go to do your strength training. And so you're, you're, you're hitting your legs again and you the rest of your body as well. All right. So yeah, you're going to be pretty sore the next day, but hopefully the next day, maybe it's an, it's an easy run. And hopefully you're dialing back the intensity a little bit because of the fact that you just did a, a crushing workout that morning that you can still get some easy miles in. Okay. My other recommendation, and, and these can go hand in hand. You can work both of these together or one or the other, but if you've got an off day scheduled, maybe do your uh, strength training the day before your off day. That way your body is able to just relax, recover after the strength training. You don't have to worry about running on top of it. So that's, that is another option. Um, I used to do kind of both of those. So when I was doing regular speed work on Tuesdays, I was off on Wednesdays and I would try to do my strength training on Tuesdays as well. And that seemed to work well for me. So those would be my two, two best options as far as when to do your, your strength training. Certainly, you know, if I want to give you some, some don't do's, don't do it before a long run because that, I mean, long runs are, are tough anyway. And unless, unless you're really doing it for a reason, like maybe you're doing a, a really hilly mountainous type of run. So you want to get some more training done on tired legs than maybe, but just for, for most of us, like, you know, it sucks to go into a long run when your legs are already shot. So don't do your strength training the day before your long run. Uh, you could do it after a long run, that, that can work. Um, but I really like after, after speed workouts and, or the, you know, the day before an off day. So you can just allow your, your body to recover afterwards. So hope that makes sense. Hope that gives you a little bit of clarity on when to schedule the workouts. If you want to talk more about it, please let me know. And then the third question from no, um, 
and I hope I'm saying your name right, by the way, um, N-O-E. I think that's no, but if, if, I, if I'm not, please, mea culpa, please forgive me. Um, but the third question, uh, my Achilles tendon has been bothering me, quote unquote, bothering me. Any recommendation to, to determine if I should rest it or try certain exercises to alleviate the tightness? So this is, this is, a, this is a question that is any, um, hopefully, self-respecting, um, quality healthcare professional would recognize that there's a lot of variables at play here. There's a lot of information that's hard to gather by quote unquote bothering me. Okay. And I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean it. It's, I can't really give you a very great advice here. So general advice, you know, stretching your calf, stretching your, your Achilles, uh, stretching your calf, both with your knee locked out straight and with a little bit of a bend in your knee. All right. Cause there's, there are, not everybody realizes this, but there are two distinct muscles in your calf. There's the gastrocnemius, which is the, the, the muscle that you see. And then there's your soleus, which is underneath that. And, and they're both connected to the Achilles tendon. They both, uh, help with pointing and, and flexing your toes, raising up on your toe or not, not flexing with pointing your toes. Um, but, but when you stretch with your knee straight, you pretty much only stretch the gastroc, that, that big muscle on the outside that you see. As soon as you bend, um, as, as soon as you bend your knee a little bit and not like a major bend, but just not locked out straight, you take some of the pressure off of your, or some of the tension off of your gastroc and it allows you to then stretch the soleus more. So do both, do both because both of them are going to help to stretch the Achilles tendon and you want to hit both muscles. So, so doing that foam rolling, uh, you may do some, some eccentric heel drops where you like get on a, on a step and you raise up on your toes on both feet and then take one foot off. So you're balancing on one foot and don't, don't balance, like touch the railing, hold the railing for stability, and then slowly lower your body down to where your heel then drops below the level of the step so that you're lowering all the way down into like a calf stretch. All right. Then raise back up on both feet, repeat. Um, and then what that does is helps to, to lengthen the muscle, it helps to stretch, stretch, stretch the muscle, stretch the tendon under a load, which is just a fancy way of saying while the muscle is engaged because you're lowering down and basically all your body weight is on your one leg. So that, that muscle is under tension and it's also lengthening, which is a great way to help, uh, improve the, the, the length and, and increase the, the flexibility of that muscle. Um, and, and hopefully that will help to, to alleviate some of the, the tendonitis issues or at least the tendon quote unquote bothering you. Um, some massage could help, you know, it's just some light massage, get some tools, get the foam roller, all those types of things that you're massaging, um, with the calf, you can get on the, the tendon a little bit. You can just use your thumb on the tendon to massage the tendon a little bit and loosen things up that way. Um, so, so you've got, you've got options there may take a few days off. Um, if you wear heels on a regular basis, whether it's, it's high heeled shoes or just a, a shoe that has, um, you know, a bit of, a bit of, 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 a heel, like a work shoe or something like that, that has a little bit of a heel on it. Um, that can cause problems. Then if you, if you run in like a zero drop shoe or you walk around barefoot or now that it's summertime, you know, maybe you got the flip flops on a bit more often, things like that. So getting, getting out of a heel and trying to wear flats as much as possible can help, uh, to, to lengthen that tendon back out a little bit, keep it from bothering you. Uh, so those are some things that you might, you might try. Um, and then, like I said, you know, taking, if it's, if it's that bad, taking a few days off, um, how do you know if you should take some time off or not? It, it, this is a slippery slope and, uh, I'm painting with a very broad brush here. So don't, uh, you know, 
choose wisely whether, uh, you know, how closely you follow this. Um, but kind of as a loose rule, if running and movement helps the, the discomfort to com- pretty much completely go away, once you get some blood flow and once you get the body moving, like, then you kind of can probably get away with continuing to run. Maybe. All right. You might not, you might be slowing down the healing process. It might, might make it a little bit worse. So you want to be careful here, but you might be able to get away with it. If running, if it's, if it's a constant discomfort the entire time you're running and heaven forbid, if it's getting worse, that's a pretty good sign to maybe take a couple days off, get a little more intense on the, the, the recovery efforts with the stretching, icing, foam rolling, things like that. Maybe seeing a, a, a PT or, or a, somebody that, that, you know, somebody that can see you in person can help with, with, uh, the recovery process, um, until things stop bothering you quite as much. And then you can get back to, back to training. But, um, again, it's, it's really tough to try to, 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 to give too much good advice, uh, with, with, a, uh, with a, a bit of a vague question. So I apologize that I'm not m- more, uh, able to give you a bit better direction than that, but hopefully something in there, a couple things in there, hopefully are things that you can add into the routine right now. And hopefully that quote unquote bothering will be quote unquote, a thing of the past, um, in, in short order, in short order. So thank you for the, uh, the hat trick of questions. No, much appreciated. And again, if I'm, if I'm mispronouncing your name, please, uh, forgive me. It's not certainly not intentional. Uh, next, next hat trick of questions comes from uh, Western New York from my man, Tom. Uh, yes. How does having a strong core help me as a runner? One of my new year's goals was to work more on my core and I, and I have done so. Uh, I like planking as much as you like Cadbury eggs. So, which means that Tom doesn't like planking at all. Um, but if you're doing them, you must like it a little bit more than I like Cadbury eggs. Cause I haven't had a I'm Cadbury egg free since, I don't know, like like 87 or something like that. I mean, can't, can't even remember. Um, but anyway, how does, how does the core strength translate into being a better runner? Um, so, so that's a honestly, Tom, that's a really good question. And it's, it's one of those things that I kind of feel like I'm quick to point out. Like, yeah, strengthen your core, but I don't know that I've ever really talked very much in depth about why that's beneficial. So thank you for, for the question. I think that it's important when, when anybody, certainly with myself, but when anybody that's given advice, given recommendations, if they can't communicate why that recommendation is important, that's, that should be kind of a bit of a red flag that maybe this, maybe this guy doesn't know as much about what he's talking about as he thinks he does. I like to think I know what I'm, I, I like to think that I don't let my mouth write checks that I can't cash every once in a while. Yeah, I might be a little bit guilty, but here's one of those that I, I definitely haven't done a great job of explaining. And hopefully uh, my explanation today will make a little bit more sense. So what are some things, what are some benefits of working your core on a, on a regular basis um, when it comes to, to running? Because I, I get it, you know, like on first glance, like what, what does my core have to do with running? Well, there's a, there's a few things that are definitely at play. There's definitely a few um, benefits that you can get for your running from having a strong core. One that's probably, I don't know, easy-ish to overlook. Um, and I'm pulling up my notes here just to make sure I'm getting, getting, I'm not missing anything. Um, now I got to find your, your question, of course. Um, so one is that, that the, and maybe this is the biggest thing. Maybe this is the one that I lean on the most is that, um, your core having a good, strong core, helps to stabilize your hips, helps to bring stability to your midsection when you're running, when your legs are going back and forth, when your arms are swinging, having that core area, your core anatomy stable 
is is vital to allow your major muscles that are your your drivers, your major movers, to do their job. Meaning, and maybe more specifically, maybe a little bit less vague. So your glutes are a prime mover, like like your gluteus maximus or our gluteus maximi, or is it glutei maximuses? Whatever it is, um, are like that's that's what should be driving us as runners, as as upright people when we walk, when we when we run. Like that's how we're able to be upright is to have a good, strong gluteus maximus. If your core is weak, if your core doesn't have the strength and stability in it, when we start running, we're leaning forward a little bit, our legs are flailing, our glutes are going to be less effective at driving us forward because they're going to be focusing at least somewhat on stabilizing, on maintaining the the posture that's required to run to run forward, right? Um, so, so when you strengthen your core, all of the other muscles that are in your core and your hips and your, your, um, pelvic floor and it's ladies and and fellas, all of us, we have pelvic floor, we have muscles down there. Um, when when your, when your core is engaged, everything else is able to do what it's supposed to do. So, you know, when you have a weak core, your IT band or your, your, it's not your IT band, it's your, um, psoas muscle and your iliacus muscles, which are kind of the muscles that, that are at the top of the IT band. And then there's that, that big band of tissue that connects down at your knee. Those muscles have to do iliopsoas. Sorry, PTs. You can email me on that one. I screwed that one up for a second, but I corrected myself. Your iliopsoas muscles have to do more work, which means that they're pulling on your IT band. To, they're doing work to stabilize your core, pull on your IT band. Now your knees might hurt. Okay. So you definitely want to make sure or one benefit of having a good, strong core is that your core muscles are doing their job, stabilizing your core, your glutes, your hip flexors, your tensor fasciolata, your I, the muscle in your IT band, so as muscle, they're able to do their job and you're less likely to develop some of those overuse injuries from, or be less efficient as a runner or fatigue quicker as a runner. Um, because the muscles are doing things that they're not, you know, they're, they're, they're more focused on the stability than their actual prime mover work, if that makes sense. Another benefit of core strength, and this is one that, that I think is probably very much overlooked, is that core, like your core is kind of the link between your upper body and your lower body, right? Like, I mean, like, like I say it's overlooked, but like it's, maybe it's overlooked because it's kind of obvious, right? Your core, it's between your upper body and your lower body. So obviously it, it links them. But we think so often of running as a lower body sport. And it obviously it is. Obviously it is. But our upper bodies are working too, right? Like, like when you run, your arms are swinging. Every time a foot goes forward, the opposite arm goes forward. And then it drives back. And it, you know, your upper body is going, your lower body is going. And if your core is strong, it kind of acts as an energy transfer. So you're getting momentum from your upper body transferred down to help your lower, your legs swing through. And it helps you be more efficient. It helps you, um, to, to maximize all that, that upper body effort that's going on to get the most out of it from your legs at the same time. Again, if your core is weak, that upper body swing is causing more, uh, more movement to the core. So then your lower body is, is trying to fight it, to stabilize it. You're not transferring that energy as efficiently from the upper body to the lower body. So the upper body is swinging and it's almost kind of working against you instead of working for you. I don't think I need to spell that out anymore, right? That, that's not ideal. It's not ideal. 
So working on your core, building your core helps with that energy transfer from your upper body to your lower body. And then last but not least of, of, of the three options today, and there's, there's more than that. Um, but last one for today is that your core helps you. And I kind of already hinted at this a little bit, but it helps you to maintain good form, right? If, you, if you've got a good, strong core, you're able to stay upright, keep your chest open. You're not collapsing over yourself. Um, you're able to maintain that good forward lean that helps with efficiency, helps with, with turnover, helps with not overstriding, which is which is a terrible thing for efficiency and it definitely can increase the risk of injury. So having that good, strong core and that stability to get you through an hour, two hours, three hours, five hours, whatever the races are that you're doing, um, helps you to be more efficient, helps you maintain good form, which both of those help to lead into improved endurance because you're able to keep going with good form. As you start to lose the form, you start to lose efficiency. Now you got to work harder to maintain the same level of output, which means that you're going to fatigue more quickly. You're going to run out of gas potentially before you get to the finish line. So yeah, Tom, I, I, again, great question. And my apologies for never really diving into it before, but yeah, core strength, kind of, kind of important, kind of something that is definitely worth committing to and prioritizing, um, from an injury risk perspective, from a performance standpoint, it's, it's, it's important. It's important. So keep, keep at it. My friend, don't, don't, uh, don't be like me with the Cadbury eggs, get on the core work, keep going. Another question from Tom, when I go for a long run, longer than 90 minutes, how often should I eat something? Should I start early in the run? Like before I get fatigued or is there, is there even a one size fits all answer? So Tom, you know, you know that I'm not going to give you a one size fit. There is no one size fits all answer. Um, so let's let in, in, you know, anyway, no one size fits all answer. Let's, let's talk about this one for a second. So, um, here are some numbers that are kind of general but they're, they're fairly well supported by the science. Okay. So this is, this, this isn't my final answer, but these are kind of some, some general things to keep in mind, which is kind of borderline one size fits all. I get it. I get it. But just bear with me here for a second. Our bodies in our muscles, in our liver, we store glycogen. We store, we store glucose. That's like the carbs, right? That our bodies can burn for fuel in general, for the most part, we're able to store enough carbohydrate, glucose or glycogen in our bodies to fuel somewhere between 90 minutes and 120 minutes, between an hour and a half and two hours worth of exercise. So in theory, and really not in theory, in actuality, if you're running shorter than 90 minutes, certainly if you're running shorter than an hour, so if you're doing a 5K, most of us for doing a 10K, some of us for doing a 15 K we really don't need to fuel. Like we have literally zero need. We have all the energy we need, all the carbs we need right there in our bodies. Even if you're the a carb dependent runner, you don't need to fuel. Now you can nothing wrong with it, but it's not necessary. And I know that's not your question, Tom, but it's just get me, you know, Mr. Fat adapted over here, right? Like I, I got to get on my high horse and be like, ah, ha, ha, ha. but anyway, so let's, uh, let's recognize that, you know, you, you've got, you've got enough gas in the tank to go for something like 90 to 120 minutes. Obviously that's a bit, a bit of a, a wide window and there's a lot of variables at play here. Obviously how fit you are, how well fed adapted you are, how intense you're going, the higher intensity, the more carbs you're going to burn, even as a fat adapted athlete, you know, no matter, no matter who you are, the harder you're going, the more carbs you're burning. 
So if you're doing a 90-minute a, a run or a, an hour and 20-minute run, but it's at a nice, leisurely, easy, legitimately easy pace, even as a, as a fairly heavy car burner, which I don't know that you are, Tom, but just in general, you may still have plenty of gas in the tank. Like you may not run out because you're not, you, you, you know, even if you're not super fat adapted, our bodies still burn both, you know, like our bodies are still, still burning fats at times. All right. Um, but to your, more to your question. So that's, that's kind of just some general knowledge. And here's one other kind of general, generalized piece before I really answer your question, Tom. Um, it takes about, and again, rule of thumb, there's variance here, but it takes about 30 minutes for fuel to go into your system to actually be usable by your body because it has to be digested, right? Drinks will happen a little bit quicker because there's not as much digestion that has to take place. But anything that has to be digested, let's just, let's just general rule about 30 minutes. So if you're running long enough that you're going to need fuel or you think you're going to need fuel, you definitely want to take it before you need it because when you need it, it's going to take another 20 to 30 minutes for it to be accessible. So I like the idea of about starting fueling at about 90 minutes. Um, and then maybe fueling every half an hour, 45 minutes, something like that. Another idea I like, and what I used to do when I was somebody who needed to fuel during a race, loved, I love, I, I do kind of enjoy not needing to worry about fueling at all anymore. Like, I don't know. At some point, maybe I'll do a race long enough where I have to worry about fueling. But right now, marathons, pff, no big deal. 50Ks, pff, no big deal. Um, you know, which again, that's, there's kind of my, my hoity-toity fat adapted piece, right? Um, but what I used to like to do, and what I, honestly, what I still even do when I, when I do run a marathon, when I do run an ultra, um, is I'll kind of just dribble in a little bit of fuel along the way. So maybe I'll switch from water to tailwind. I'll have a sip of tailwind every once in a while. I run by an aid station and you know my rule. And if you don't, here's my rule. Never say no to potato chips on race day. Now you don't have to follow that rule, but that's my personal rule. There's potato chips and it's a race. I'll take a few. Thanks very much. So, you know, if there's, if I run past the aid station at mile 10, there's potato chips. Boop, I'll take a few. There's a couple of M&Ms. I might take a couple of those too. Not that I need it, but I'm just giving myself a little drip of fuel. Like that's not much. That's, you know, whatever that's, that's, 40 calories, 60 calories, whatever. Like it's not a big deal. It's not enough to, to fuel anybody for long term. But instead of instead of waiting until, you know, 90 minutes in and now I'm going to have, you know, 200 calories of, of goo or whatever, insert food product-ish here. And then having that set hard on my stomach, I always like the idea of having a couple of gummies, having a couple of chews, not a whole sleeve, just one. And instead of waiting every 30 minutes to do it, I might do it every 10 minutes every mile, something like that. Have just a little steady drip of, of intake of fuel instead of one big dump at a time. I feel like that might help set better on my stomach. Admittedly, I kind of have an iron stomach anyway, so it, it, I don't know that it made much of a difference. But for those that have a more sensitive stomach, that might be something to consider is to just kind of drip it in a little bit as, as you go. So um, now to your more to your question, how often should I eat something? You know, at least probably every 20 to 30 minutes. Um but I, again, I like the idea of just sprinkling a little bit as you go. Um, but really, when it comes down to it, fueling, like that's something you've got to play with. Some people can handle a bit more. Some people can't. And the last thing you want is a bunch of GI issues on race day. So, you know, fueling, that's that's part of training for a long race as much as training for the long race. And so, you know, and, and again, all, all jokes about fat adaption aside, 
one of the, the big things that I like most about it is it takes that variable of, am I going to eat something and get sick? Or am I going to eat something and have to do the, the waddle to the porta potty or the waddle behind the bush uh, to, to solve that problem? It really helps to eliminate that situation. So the less amount that you can eat or that you need to eat, I think is the better because it just takes one way for your race to go sideways and really reduces the risk of that. So, um, practice it, find something that works for you, figure out, you know, kind of when you need it based on effort, based on the the distance that you're running, but it's definitely not a a one size fits all thing, Tom, which I'm sure you probably expected me to go on that route anyway. So thank you for that question. And the third one from Tom, how do you handle wearing a mask in sultry Florida? It is only now warming up up here in Western New York. And I wonder if people will stop wearing masks if they get too hot. So, um, I don't know if this is going to rub people the wrong way or not, but I really haven't been wearing a mask asterisk unless I go into, you know, I go to the grocery store go to the pet store to get dog food, go to the liquor store to get my, my tequila or my gin. Um, if I'm going, and those are basically the only places I've, I've been since the quarantine thing started. I mean, I guess that, that sets my priorities, right? Like either the liquor store, the grocery store, the pet store. That's, that's been it. Those are the only places I wear a mask. Like when I go out for a run, no, I ain't doing it. Not, not to try to thumb my nose at authority, not to try to, to be cavalier and, and, pretend like I'm immune. I, I, you know, that I understand science and I respect science and I understand virus transmission, but I also understand that when I'm running at five 30 in the morning, six o'clock in the morning in my neighborhood that I'm, I have for the most part, I have the streets completely to myself. And every once in a while, when there's somebody else that's out walking as well, like they are on one side of the street and I cross over to the other side of the street. So we're passing, you know, on a two lane neighborhood street, like the closest I ever am to anybody is 12 feet, 14 feet, you know, like I'm, I'm good. I'm good in those situations because yeah, you're right in the hot and humid down here. There's, there's one lady in our neighborhood. I don't even know her name, but I wave to her every morning that she runs and she's wearing her mask. And, and I don't know if she's got an underlying condition. I don't know. I don't know her details. I don't need to know her details. If that's what helps her feel safe and comfortable. Then by all means, I don't know how she can do it from the breathing perspective. Like I'm dying out there wishing I had gills so I could breathe better. If you understand gills, you understand what I'm saying there. Um, she's out there with her mask on getting her miles in. I don't know how, I don't know how. So I don't wear the, you know, back to the point again, I don't wear the mask unless I'm going someplace where there's going to be other people. And when I go someplace where there's going to be other people, it's Florida. So there's air conditioning. So we're good. What'll be interesting as I'm recording this, they just announced from Disney that uh, Disney's opening back up. They're starting to phase open mid-July. And uh, as I mentioned in a Friday Five recently, like I kind of would like to go to Disney one of these days. So um, going there, I'll certainly wear a mask. If I'm going to Disney with however many people that are deciding to let in, I'll be wearing a mask. And if it's middle of July wearing a mask, that could be an issue. So it might be a short trip. <laughs> um, but uh, I'll report back on that. Until then... I'm good wearing the mask and air conditioning when I need to. And, uh, and, and yeah, you know, but it, it, I mean, it's uncomfortable when it's hot. Like let's not kid ourselves. And if you're running, it's, it's tough too. Thankfully I live in a place where I can run with very minimal risk by not wearing a mask. I know some of y'all living in the bigger cities running, like you can't get away from people and it's certainly not safe to run in the streets. So you, you got to do it. Hats off hat tip to you for being able to do that. But thank you for the questions there, Tom. Last question. As we're closing in on two hours, 
my voice still feels like it's going all right. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, we're getting through two hours. Goodness gracious, two hours. Y'all people. Great questions. Great, great list of questions to push us to the two-hour mark or at least getting close to it. Um, but last question comes from Jill. I have a crappy sit-slash-stand desk. Uh, stand at, at – let me start this over. I have crappy sit-stand-at-a-desk all-day posture. And honestly, COVID is making it worse because all the meetings are on my phone and computer, so I'm leashed to the desk. I can tell it is making my back sore when I'm running. Any stretches or posture corrections I can do either at my desk uh, after the day is done or before a run. So Jill, great. Once I was able to read it there, great question. And uh, something that a lot of us are dealing with. I mean, and, and honestly, I think it's something that a lot of us have been dealing with well before COVID. But like you said, now with everything being on zoom and working from home and maybe not having the best desk situation because everybody's working from home and the kids are doing school from home and you're kind of making it do with the laptop and the phone and this and that posture sucks for a lot of us. And I am guilty here too. So, you know, you, you got to do the best you can. Uh, a couple of options that might be helpful. And I'll try to do a couple from, from each situation. So, um, things you can do at your desk to try to improve the posture a little bit. So one thing that I used to do that I don't do anymore, but maybe I should think about doing again is getting like an exercise ball. One of those big physio, you know, kind of squishy, you know, crunch balls, ab balls type of things that you can like sit on and use that instead of your desk chair. Why? Because if you're sitting on a ball or they even make like desk, like, like chairs that the ball sits in, but it still creates a lot of that instability. You, you almost can't help, but have pretty good posture because if you start slouching and getting lazy, like you, you, you can't, if you're sitting on a ball, right? Like you start to wobble all over the place. We're like, Oh shoot. Yep. Posture correction. Get your hips back underneath you. Get your shoulders back sitting up straight. It can help to take care of it that way. So maybe doing something like that would be a, a fix. Another thing at the desk that you might try is raising up, um, raising up the desk a little bit. And if you can't raise up the, like if you can't get one of the fancy, uh, elevator things, which I get like, they're not cheap and, and the cheap ones aren't worth it. Um, but you can do something like I used again, something I used to do, which I don't do anymore. Um, but you know, get some, like some books, get a couple of, you know, dictionaries or phone books or some, some random thick things or uh, boxes, whatever that you can raise your, your laptop, your desktop, whatever you raise your monitor up so that you don't have, you know, so that, that you're looking straight ahead at it instead of looking down at it which is going to keep your head up, shoulders back a little bit better and help improve your posture that way. So those are a couple of options for at the desk. Um, as far as stretches, things you can do to, to, to try to help alleviate that. Um, you know, certainly if you have a foam roller and if you have one of the long ones, you know, one of the, like the three footers, one of the things that I like to do on mine on occasion, and again, probably don't do it as much as I should, but lay it down and then lay on top of it so that the length of the foam roller is running like the length from like my head to my, to my booty. So it's running all the way up the center of my back. Right. I, I hope that I'm, I'm able to convey this visual instead of it laying perpendicular to my body. Like I would do if I was rolling, it's laying parallel and resting right along my spine. And then my head's able to rest on the end of it as well. Okay. And so you just lay there, spread your arms out to the side. And because you're that, you know, you're whatever that, uh, however, what the diameter is like, three inches, four inches, something like that off the ground. It allows you to really open up your chest and stretch, stretch your pecs, 
stretch your shoulders back a little bit after you've been hunched over at the computer all day. So that might be something just, just lay, lay on that thing for 10 minutes, just arms wide, just stretching, stretching. Um, you can also use like a door frame and anytime you walk in and out the door of your office, just kind of grab the door frame with one, one arm and like rotate your chest. So like if I'm, if I'm grabbing it with my left arm, I step through the door, I've got my left arm back behind me holding the, the edge of the door, the door frame or the, the wall or whatever, and then kind of rotate my, as I rotate away from the, the microphone so you can't hear me, uh, it, because of course I'm doing this right now to try to demonstrate it and you can't see it, of course. But then you kind of rotate your, your chest open, but to the right. So you're kind of pulling the left side of your chest, the left side of your shoulder um, to create that little bit of a stretch. And then of course you do the same thing, the, the opposite thing on the opposite arm. So your right arm is grabbing the, the door frame, you've stepped through it and now you're, you're turning your chest to the left to stretch your right arm. So those are a couple things that can help. Um, another thing that I've recently started doing, and it's so recent that it really hasn't developed into a habit yet. I need to kind of get the cues going a little bit more, but I have an elastic band, a TheraBand type of situation, right? Um, that what I'm trying to, to create the habit of doing is that every time I get up from the desk, whether it's to go refill my coffee cup, whether it's to take a little break, go eat lunch, end of the day, whatever it is, grab the band and do a couple of, of like mobility exercises. So, you know, holding the band with two hands out in front of me and stretching my arms out to the side, kind of making like a T or like a cross situation, stretching the band back to the middle, open up, squeezing my shoulder blades behind me back to the middle. So doing some of that to help open up my chest, strengthen the muscles of my back, which is going to help improve my posture. Or another option is to hold the band like in front of my, in front of my hips, right? With the same, you know, kind of hands about shoulder width apart on the band and then take it up. And, and I, I'm going to try to explain this and it's not going to work very well, but if you want me to demonstrate it, let me know. And I'll, I'll throw a video up in the Facebook group, but basically just take the, the, take my arms up in front of me up overhead. So I kind of get my arms almost in like a Y position. Like I'm doing the YMCA, right? So I'm starting out my hands in front of my, my hips about shoulder width apart and then raising up while holding the band. So there's a little bit of tension. I get my hands all the way up into like the Y position and then keep, keep going, keep rotating behind me. The band stretches out a little bit and now I get, I end up with my arms, um, you know, kind of behind me, kind of like right behind my, my, my tuchus, right? With the band holding it, my shoulders rotated back, arms all the way stretched and then raise it back up and over. So it's kind of like a, an over and back, almost like you're doing like the backstroke in the pool, um, except you're doing both arms at the same time and you're not going all the way around because you got the band. So you stop at the back and then reverse back forward. So it's kind of like a hybrid backstroke, butterfly stroke if that makes sense. But those are some things that can help open up the chest, engage the muscles in your back, which are going to help with your, with your posture as well. Um, but if you can, you know, I definitely, this is the type of situation situation where the best option is not to do the, I mean, the exercises and the stretches are great, but the best option is to improve the setup so that you're able to maintain better posture during the workday. So, you know, getting a different chair, getting a, 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 something that can adjust up and down, um, raising the, 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 the computer up or the monitor up on, um, you know, on some books or on a riser or on a shelf or something like that. So that it's standing in front of you. Um, those are, are the best ways to, to mitigate it. And then you can do some of those stretches, some of the band work, uh, some of the other different types of exercises, stretching yoga, all those types of things that can help loosen, loosen things up and hopefully improve your posture a bit. But, um, like I said, it's something I'm glad, I, I don't know that I said this, but I'm glad that you're aware of it 
because that's, that's, you know, the first step to fixing a problem is to recognize the problem. Right. And I think it's a great question because a lot of us, you know, even, even pre COVID, we just, you know, we play our stupid phones all the time in the evening, right? We're, we're on our devices. We're on our laptops. We're on our, our computers. We're on our, our tablets, our phones. Um, our posture as a, as a population sucks. And all of us, and I, I'll make a bold statement here. All of us could stand to improve it. So Jill, I hope that that helps you. Everybody else, I hope you were paying attention. If not, hit that back back skip button, you know, a handful of times because it usually only back skips like 30 seconds. And, you know, it was me. So that, obviously that was a six minute answer. So hit it eight times or 12 times or whatever to get back to the start of that. Listen to it again and start implementing because I, I, I will make a bold statement that there's, that there's just about nobody. I say, I'll make a bold statement. And then I, and then I, I buffet it with saying almost there's almost none of us that couldn't benefit from better posture and our running will benefit from it as well. So thank you for the question, Jill. And with that, I'm pretty, I mean, as I'm looking at the recording, I'm definitely over two hours, but there's gonna be a little bit of a finagling on my end. We might not be over two hours just yet, but I think we're going to get there. And I don't know that I like, it sounds like I'm saying like that exciting, like, hell yeah, we made it to two hours. I didn't plan to do it this way, but yeah, y'all gave me some good questions. Lots of good questions. Some fun questions as well, which are always appreciated. And, uh, you know, the beauty of podcasts is you don't have to listen to it all at once, right? You can listen to 20 minutes here and 40 minutes there and you get to a question and you stop it and pick up later. Um, and those of you that sucked it up and suffered through it for a whole two hours, whew, impressive, impressive. So we will go ahead and wrap this one up. Um, y'all thank you for, for listening. Thank you for the questions. As always, I love hearing from you guys. So if you've got something to, to say, uh, about this episode or just, in general, just want to say hello. You just want to ask a question. You want to crack a, crack a joke at me. Um, I can take it. I can take it at Dizruns on Twitter. I can take it at Dizruns on Instagram. I can take it in the email inbox, Dizruns at gmail.com. And I can take it on the, the blog post for today, which has got some links in it. I mentioned a few of them along the way, links back to old posts, links back to products I use, things like that. Uh, and obviously there's the comment section down at the bottom as well. You can, you can crack a joke at my expense there, Dizruns.com slash... 843 for today. And of course, as per usual, there's memes, there's gifs, there's tomfoolery there as well. So if you want to, I don't know, I don't know if it'll entertain you, but it entertains me. And so, you know, whatever. That's why, that's why I spend way too much time putting the memes and the gifs in the, in the posts, but you can go check those out. If you're so interested, disruns.com slash 843. Uh, once again, if you haven't joined the Facebook group yet, We'd love to have you come hang out with us. And that's the best way to get your questions answered because we'll be doing this again next month. You know, whatever happens, um, unless, unless, you know, the unthinkable happens, um, and I'm not here to do another episode a month from now, we'll be back in a month with a Q and a from, uh, at the end of June. So to get your questions answered, um, or to get them submitted and then I'll answer them disruns.com slash Facebook, or just next time you're on Facebook, type in the Disruns tribe into the search bar, click to click request to join. We'll let you in. And, uh, you know, unless you prove yourself to be uh, a spammy, spammy little, uh, little, uh, you know, spam a lot. We would love to have you stay and have fun with us and uh, crack some jokes and, and get some questions answered. Uh, disruns.com slash Facebook. So with that, safe to say we now have a new longest episode in uh, the history of Diz Runs Radio. So thank you all for the questions again. Um, great questions this month. Looking forward to some more great questions next month. But until then, y'all, please be well. Take care. Thanks again for listening. Share the show with a friend if you found it useful. And until next time, see you.